Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What's up, Gypsy gang? This episode is with an absolute legend of a human, Durant Stapleton. You may have noticed at Denver, there was a big old Gypsy Tales logo on the gas gas. That was from Banger. He's a young Aussie dude that has been over grinding his way through uh, privateer life in Supercross, and he's doing it in style, man. He's like fully just there because he loves Supercross. Under no illusions that he's trying to get a factory ride or trying to get in the top five and win races. He just... He's there because he absolutely loves Supercross. The guy has one of the coolest attitudes and outlook on the sport and life uh, that I've come across in my long years of, of roaming the earth. Uh, and this was a podcast that I really wish we did sooner. Bang is an awesome guy. Uh, this episode had me in absolute stitches and I hope you guys enjoy it. Before we get into the show though, just a quick word from some of our sponsors and this episode is brought to you by the team at Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens AG1 is the first port of call for me each and every morning. And in my experience, this is easily the healthiest habit that you can form. Uh, and it takes just under a minute of your day each day. Now, there's a couple of reasons why I like using AG1. Actually, I love using AG1. Firstly, doing it habitually every morning sets me in the right path with my health. Not only is it amazing for my body, but mentally I know that before I've done anything else in the morning, I'm already kind of on the path that I want to be on. Secondly, to get the same nutritional benefits by using separate vitamins would not only take a crazy amount of time, but I'm probably not smart enough to actually source all of the ingredients that AG1 packs into their formula. AG1 is a one scoop formula that you mix with between 8 to 12 ounces of water and you're done. That's it. And it has been a part of millions of mornings since 2010. Not only that, I really enjoy the taste of it as well. Now, since using AG1 on a consistent basis, I've noticed a massive change for the better on my overall gut health and digestion. I would feel bloated after eating big meals and this left me feeling tired and lethargic. And I've also noticed a difference in my energy levels and I seem to be able to maintain a more consistent level throughout each day. On top of that, I can notice a difference in my skin, hair and nails. And let's face it, I'm not getting any younger. Maybe the best part about working with the team at Athletic Green so far in 2023 is that it has been helping the Gypsy Gang as well. I've had a bunch of messages from people who started using AG1 after listening to the show and they've all had their own success stories and it's been really cool to hear. If you're looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash gypsytales. Now you must use the link. This isn't a code. That link is athleticgreens.com slash gypsytales. We are also 
brought to you by our friends over at Manscaped and we thank them for sponsoring this episode and if you didn't already know the global leaders in below the waist grooming aren't just going gold this season they're going platinum you heard that right Manscaped has taken their signature performance package 4.0 to the moon with their upgraded platinum package with products ranging from shower goods to ball care, this is their sleekest, sexiest, and smoothest bundle yet. It's time to go platinum and join the now 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code GYPSYGANG. Now, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man that deserves it all and you. Yes, you. You are the man that deserves it all. Inside this platinum package, you'll find their Lawn Mower 4.0 trimmer, brand new Weed Whacker 2.0, which is awesome, by the way. Uh, that is the ear, nose, and hair trimmer. The Ultra Premium Body Wash, Ultra Premium 2-in-1 Shampoo and Conditioner, which I go through quite a lot with all of this hair, and their Ultra Premium Deodorant, Crop Preserver Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant, which is handy for those days at the track and their Crop Reviver Ball Spray Toner, Anti-Chafing Boxes, and the Shed Travel Bag to hold all of your goods. You get all of that in one package, and I can tell you it is extremely handy, especially that travel bag. That thing has gone all over with me. We've been working with the guys at Manscaped for a long time now, and I just can't tell you how important it is to just get a nice routine around grooming and these guys just have it dialed when you get one of these performance package 4.0s it's pretty much like the last male self-care pack that you need to get and it's one of the reasons why we love working with the guys at manscaped now you can get all of this for 20% off plus free shipping with the code gypsy gang at manscaped.com that is 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code GYPSYGANG. Get a taste of the finer things in life with Manscaped. Now, very similar to the team at Manscaped with their all-in-one performance package, this podcast is brought to you by the team at Crush Oz. They are the professional bike care company designed by riders for riders. If you head to crushoz.com, you'll see a whole host of amazing products to keep your dirt bike or mountain bike in A1 condition. If, however, you are looking for an all-in-one solution to detailing your whip, then I would suggest adding the Crush Pro Bike Care Bucket to your cart and working your way through that magic little box. It contains everything that you need to keep your ride looking amazing and is based around the premium range of Crush Bike Care products. This kit also includes four important tools to most effectively use these products. In this one handy bucket, you will receive the Crush Drivetrain Degreaser, one liter of foaming rapid wash, a 400 gram aerosol of after wash bike spray, the Crush Brush, which is ideal for all types of frames, wheels, and overall washing, the bike sponge, chamois, a microfiber cloth, and this all fits in one handy 10 liter bucket. Crush has been a longtime supporter of the podcast. And there is a reason that we look no further when it comes to taking care of our quiver of bikes. Find out more by visiting crushoz.com. We're also brought to you by the guys and the girls at the unbelievably good Fist Handwear. 
I have been putting in a bunch of motos lately uh, and I did the unthinkable the other day, did a moto in a pair of other gloves because I ripped my fist gloves in a weird collision with a uh, some desert foliage and I had to switch gloves and I got the worst blisters I've ever got in my life. And look, it's not very often that I'll wear another glove, but when I do, it just makes me realize how lucky I am to have been wearing fist handwear for over 10 years now. If you have never tried fist gloves, I suggest that you go to the website and go to fisthandwear.com, use the code GYPSYGANG, you're going to get 15% off, but you are also going to get the most unbelievable riding experience of your life when it comes to gripping onto your handlebars whether it's bmx whether it's mountain bikes whether it's moto but they're called fist handwear for a reason it's because they make the best handwear in the game we're also brought to you by the guys at tropical auto group uh and if you're in the market for a new or used vehicle then you can't buy anything without picking up the phone and calling kyle kyle has been keeping us moving for the past three years and countless other members of the gypsy gang Tropical Auto Group in Rockhampton stock Ford, Mitzi, Kia, Isuzu, and Great Wall. And for the last 12 months, we've been wheeling that new D-Max. If you're looking for a new ute for work or play, I cannot recommend that rig enough. We've driven it from Melbourne to Cape York, and it's safe to say she has passed the test. Head to tropicalautogroup.com.au and make sure you ask for Kyle. That's it for me and the ads. I appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, if you want to get these podcasts early and without the ads, you can head to gypsytales.com and join our membership site. You will get a link to a private RSS feed where this podcast has been up for over a week. There's a podcast up there right now with Jeff Emig. There's a podcast there with Anton Wass and MotoGP star Sete Gibbonau. Much more coming in the, uh, in the next few weeks. So once again, thank you all for listening. Stay tuned and and uh, see you on the next one. This is pretty cool. I didn't realize you had such a like a setup here, studio. Yeah, it's sick, eh? Yeah, it's funny. I need to get this um, stuff to put on my walls at home just to really soundproof it so I can get a good night's sleep. <laughs> yeah, dude, makes a difference. Uh, well, we're rolling, mate. We'll fucking. Oh, okay. We'll, 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 just, we'll just hook in. Um, so yeah, Duran Stapleton joins us on the podcast uh, on the Gypsy Tales Gas Cats. <laughs> it's pretty funny, isn't it? Anyone can have their. Um, I've all, anyone's got a price, I guess. I can have any logo on my bike. So, uh, yeah, but it actually yeah. did look pretty sick with your logo. Yeah, no, I can't. Good. So, um, yeah. Duran run the uh, run the Gypsy Tales on the on the weekend for us at Denver. To be fair, mate, I actually and especially after the weekend, because like I actually I didn't expect any TV to, like I I didn't give a fuck like I wasn't doing it for any of it. You know, like I feel like most people that watch Supercross like kind of know about the podcast, and so I was like I just wanted to help you out, and then it was like like you said you didn't know you were going to come on the podcast after it too so like i'd always wanted to have you on the show and it was i was like i'd love to do this and so i wanted to kind of i wanted it to go the way this has gone but i wish we did it sooner mate because uh yeah turned out sick like people were stoked my instagram was blowing up all day and then yeah lee diffie shouted us out on uh on the in the lcq (laughs) you rode like a demon so it it was just a cool day 
it worked out well because like my season's been pretty rough um but even just having like the gypsy tails logo on the bike like i had lee diffie and carmichael and then um i'm i can't remember the race day live dude's name but they all came up and spoke to me and no one's like i've never had a media person basically in america come and speak to me so that was pretty cool uh come down in the tunnel and they spoke to me and then i I haven't had a chance to watch it um i watched a little bit of the lcq last night but uh yeah apparently they mentioned me and i got a little bit of tv time so worked out well for you yeah yeah it was cool yeah and I, i had like um so like garth milan who he uh he got some photos so garth is the like this you know the tall dude that was taking yeah yeah he you, came you up and he introduced him, yeah. himself yeah oh yeah. sick yeah yeah so he's like one of my best mates so me and him i still talk to him i mean it's not as much as when i was there like so when i was there and i was doing all the red bull filming so he's like the red bull photographer so oh, he yeah. was in he was in miami the day before supercross doing like photos with ricardo doing his like boat race with yuki Sonoda. then he gets straight on a plane goes to supercross like he's the fucking don of all photographers in action sports and so when i was living over there mate he's fucking like probably one of the best dudes i know and i'd be i was like young and doing all those video shoots and he was always the photographer so like it was even sick to like I messaged him and I was like hey my mate Bangers running the logo on the bike and then he got sick photos so yeah it was uh, well, I was pretty pumped on it. That's like one of like I said in the text with you like that is one of the hardest things as a privateer to get the the like I guess you could say content or like photos yeah. to post on social media because um, I guess the a lot of the teams they pay. Uh, that align with us or whatever it is to yeah, yeah. Uh, go like because they go to each race and they get like have products and that and companies pay yeah. for them to take photos but I don't even know how to get that I'm sure you could reach out and, and pay them each round well so uh, Garth have- is Octopi Media so it's him Ryan Swanberg uh, and then I'm pretty sure there's one other guy but I was yeah I was thinking about it after you said that to me and um yeah I, th- I think that's probably what i'll try and do for you next year because like if you go again next year then i'll try and commit to like helping you with with some of that sort of stuff because yeah like i guess like, yeah i didn't even really know what kind of makes a difference for you you know yeah yeah that is one of the things because you're trying to you've got like sponsors helping you and then to like the monday after the race you're trying to find a photo and i, I a lot of the time i'll go on the the photographer um brown dog wilson he uh usually has photos and for some reason this year just by luck i guess i haven't really had any photos on his website so i was like fuck i need i need to try and find photos and you're always trying to steal something from somewhere and not like without trying to piss people off but yeah it is a big thing to try and post because you have sponsors but then yeah to try and find it without having to pay someone on the day i guess uh yeah it's quite hard yeah and i mean it's all stuff that yeah like the average person i just don't i mean even for me like i kind of don't you don't think about what it takes for someone like you to go racing you know and like i guess you don't really know what you've got sorted what you don't have sorted so it's kind of like yeah it was interesting for me even just to see oh like oh okay this actually would help a dude out you know oh 100 percent. like the even for the gas on the weekend, or I guess fuel, I've been in America too long, but uh, for the van, like I, it was probably 
three or four hundred bucks on the way up and then three or four hundred on the way back just in fuel to get to the race so like any any money with that like you gave me a little bit it helped for the weekend and we this year we've i've been trying to do it a little cheaper this year with hotels and stuff so the night before the race i'll always get a hotel um but like this weekend or last weekend the wednesday and the thursday and i just slept in the van um with my girlfriend and it just makes it cheaper but that's one thing in like in australia i feel like you can pull up at any servo and sleep or that but in america we've been moved along a few times and everyone told me that walmart was yeah, the place to sleep and used to do it yeah yeah but i tried that once and we got moved along so uh the security guard came out and said we couldn't but i think it was probably because it was around oakland area so yeah yeah because I, I guess in australia we don't have the homeless problem that they have in america yeah. and that's one of the things is trying to so what we've just been stopping at um loves travel stops like the big servos on the yeah. road and we just sleep there and my my van i'm pretty lucky with my van i like the my mate that I bought it off he it's got like a wall and a bed and the bed that came with the van it's quite small it's only about like a meter or like a couple of feet wide so yeah. I just get three dirt bike stands and I put it next to the bed behind the the seats in the front and then I put a mattress uh from where like there where I live there was bunk beds so I just took one of the mattresses and put it on top and then dude it's sweet like I, we last like, I always have like <laughs> big problems with sleeping and it's fine for me so i just put some uh like towels up on the windows and me and my girlfriend are are fine but i don't think she realized that that's what we were going to be doing when she signed up for the relationship but she seems (laughs) to be happy so it's fine oh yeah i mean it's something definitely cool about just i don't know doing it tough like it's been funny like me and my my partner like we were talking about the other day because we've just done four months in Dubai and before that we were just like living in Oz and she's not from Oz so she's just moved over there and that she's trying to like figure out her life over there whereas I'm fucking dialed like I got my studio I got my place I got my bikes my cars my mates like everything's sweet and in the routine and then we went like moved over to Dubai together and just both starting from the bottom together and going through so much just shit like we stayed we couldn't when we first come here the the um it was just like peak season man and i think with like the war in russia and ukraine so many people are are moving here and shit so like we couldn't find a place man we had to stay in like pretty much the ghetto (laughs) like we ended up staying in like the foot not like it's not ghetto like american ghetto but it's a lot of like immigrant construction workers and shit and there's just like bus loads of dudes just getting dropped off and just like the clotheslines hanging off the site like we were just fully slumming it and what uh, but what mean, made you go to dubai like just what was that choice oh uh, I, I sort of just like i wanted a bit of like a new challenge you know like sort of planning on getting back to the states so i was gonna be moving anyway so it was just i was kind of like just getting itchy feet like i kind of had a plan to to go and get back to the states then once i kind of made my mind up that i was gonna move i was like all right well i want to move and i couldn't make the u.s thing happen straight away because i gotta get the visa and then all the um i came here for formula one last year and it was just like there's so much motorsports going on here man you know like it's just there's 
MotoGP does their shit here. Then you got all the Formula One races. You got 24-hour stuff. All the Dakar guys are here. Dakar's in Saudi. So I was like, man, for a certain block of the year, this is like the busiest place for motorsports. And then it's only six hours to Europe from here, man. So like I did that Europe trip last year and it was 23 hours or something to get there. And it just yeah. ruined me. And then you got to stay there for like three weeks to make it worth the trip. And then it ruins you when you get home. So it's like a trip to Europe from Oz is pretty much like a two-week ordeal, basically. Uh, sorry, like a month ordeal out of your life. And then I was like, well, I want to spend more time in Europe. So, yeah, it was just a combination of things, eh? But I've actually, like, really enjoyed it, man. I've met some fucking good people over here. And then got to do that trip to Europe was sick. But, but like, to the point when you feel like when you're with your partner and you do something like kind of rough and hard and you're both in the same level and it sort of sucks like i think it actually makes your relationship like better you know like i thought we were pretty dialed when we were back in oz but like nowadays like we'd only just mentioned it because she just left back to australia and um and we're like man i actually just like we've never been like better as a couple i think it actually made us like way stronger well I, and i think like from a guy's point of view you kind of see what your chick is like in that mm. situation and yeah. if she kicks up a stink with like for me we when we're traveling we'll we figured out if you like because there's planet fitness is like yeah, they're kind of yeah. it's a consistent gym like it's kind of everywhere everywhere so and they got if, showers and- yeah so if you make a new email you get one free day of training so we, I'm just constantly making new emails and we go there and it's good because on like with the traveling to the races, you want to get like your hour of cardio or whatever in for the day. So we stop there. I do a little bit on the cycle, get a big stretch in and then we shower and then I'm like, let's keep going on the road. So she's been fully on board with all that stuff and she's getting her cardio in. So I'm making sure she's still staying fit. And then <laughs> and then we have a shower and get back on the road. So Yeah, what other like travel privateer travel hacks have you found over the years <laughs> traveling in America? Well, now that sort of I'm kind of a little bit set up here, I've got... A microwave in the van so i try and cook all the meals beforehand and like not all the meals i shouldn't say that like at least two because yeah. when you think about on race day you unless you want to go have one of the food truck vendors and spend 50 bucks on food you can't eat well and obviously i don't have catering or anything like that but yeah, yeah so i always try and have a little bit of rice and and meat or whatever um to take to the races but all right you put me on the spot with that like it's mainly just I try and get back after the races as soon as I can. Like on the weekend. Um, yeah, you drove straight from Denver back home, right? Well, I kind of screwed myself a little because after the race, by the time we packed up and left, it was about 12. And then I drove till three and I was like, I was trying to be responsible. I should have just kept driving straight through. So I slept till like for three hours or about two and a half hours and I uh, ended up hitting the Vegas traffic on the way home. So it just, oh, oh dude, it just drew bro. the whole trip out. And then the next, so we got to bed like about nine that night, which was fine. And then we had to be up at 10 to five yesterday because uh, I, I was meant to be going Monday after Salt Lake to China 
to do a supercross and it just got postponed but my oh, passport right. was still at the embassy so i had to go pick that up and i was like fuck i better get that done early this week because we've got salt lake this weekend and it's just going to get hectic um trying to get everything ready trying to fit it like a couple of days of riding and then so yeah this weekend i really screwed myself with the vegas traffic and then sleep wise i'm trying to catch up on sleep but yeah because it's tough because you need to get back so that you can prep the race bike for the next week do graphics and all that because that takes me kind of like a day by the time i wash it yeah. and then oil clutch and take the graph the worst thing about the graphics is taken oh, off and if they're glue off. Uh, dude yeah. and so and at the moment with the living situation we don't have power where i have to work on the bikes so i just sit there when i do the graphics next to the generator with the heat gun and it, during the start of the season because it was like winter it would rain a lot and the the generator isn't close enough i didn't have a lead to get down to the undercover area so i'm just sitting out in the, and waiting for the breaks in the rain to do the graphics and i'm just like what the fuck is going on with like if this is what i have to do to race i'm doing it i was like skda is sending out all these sick graphics kits and they're probably thinking oh he's just got someone putting them on i'm just sitting out in the fucking rain just trying to it's yeah but it's pretty funny dude i you it's almost a crime that you haven't been documenting all of this shit because like oh, i just can imagine what you've been through over the last few years eh well it's it's kind of funny like um i was talking with roger at seven and he was saying that we need to do like a video series and that seems to be like the whole new thing if you go on track walk this year it seems like everyone dude and i'm not that type of person like i really struggle with the social media stuff i i if i wasn't racing and didn't have sponsors i wouldn't have instagram like i so even on the weekend uh Oh, the night before the race, like on the Friday night, I went to sleep and I was like, I realized I was like, far out. In the morning, I've got to wake up and I've got to hold a phone up here and say, hey, everyone, like, welcome back to my channel. Like, oh, you're on the gym. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've never, done, I've never held a phone up and spoke. Like, I feel like that anyone who does that, it's got to be like, you're the biggest wanker. But yeah. I, I was like, nah, we have to do it. We're going to do this gypsy tail thing. And it honestly, once we got into the day and um, we were riding and that I was just too busy, I was, I just got Lucy to film whatever I needed to do when we got back to the van, like to update everyone. And then I was just like, I didn't even watch it. I was just like, just send it to him. So yeah. that, that was fine. Like, but right. Yeah. Like Roger was saying, I, I need to probably do a video series or something because it's not like you get the sort of the glamorous side of the supercross or whatever but that the behind the scenes stuff of trying to get the bikes ready and even just yeah. putting motors in and out and stuff by myself all that sort of stuff it takes so much time and i really yeah. just need like it would be cool to show people that like well, even think, yeah yeah go next next year I'm, i'll definitely try and get some i mean i might even be be over there for some of the supercrosses next year and we can actually like yeah like actually film you doing it but even i was thinking about it like the guys at verb would probably be perfect to to do some stuff with you um but i mean yeah roger's got like because yeah you're not like the top dude getting the top results but you're doing supercross in a way that not many people are doing it you know like it is even you know like you look at kevin moran's 
and it's like he's a factory rider compared to you <laughs> you know what i mean it's, it's so funny when you sort of like i don't think people especially back home understand that being a privateer over here it's the majority of the privateers and i'm not i'll never be like oh i'm hard done by type i'm loving life like this is the sickest thing ever (laughs) but most like the majority of people you go to the practice track they all have mechanic or a a trainer or anything like that and uh, like it just it's not like that for me you have to i've got to do everything and that because it's not really an option like if you like worked out how much it would be to have a full-time mechanic and all that stuff yeah. it's another 100 grand or whatever you're putting on to the year and that's not an option so a lot of the time with the being at the practice tracks or that with the, the riders will have trainers and they'll start doing motos and I, I hope that no one ever gets pissed off with this stuff but if there's a riding group like a will Hahn riding group or a carry from grindstone they'll start their motos and I just start like a lap behind and then I'll just do yeah. one more lap at the end and I'm, I'm just doing their program. Some of the best stories I have is with um, Yoda was like, he's not in California this year because he's out in South Carolina, but he had Randy Lawrence as his trainer and Randy was awesome. Like, cause I don't mind, like I'm always a little bit slower than those guys, like a second or two, or whatever, but I don't mind being the rabbit to go out and, and like, for them to chase me down so i got to do randy lawrence's program sort of majority last year when we were at the practice track with yoda and i'm just like holy fuck this guy's winning championships with mcgrath back in 99 or whatever it was <laughs> and i'm just trading with randy so it was pretty sweet uh, and, and are they cool with you like they're all talking to you and be like yeah just fucking you go first yeah yeah i try and like not with like will Hahn's group or whatever they're always sort of they got a big group and i haven't sort of spoken to them but um randy was always sweet because it was the majority of the riding was out at like a private supercross track so like i'm good mates with um yoda and stuff like that so i always like would always just sort of jump in and i'm not paying for it but i'm sort of doing everything that they're doing which is pretty funny yeah dude that's so fucking cool i think that one of the i mean it's it's like probably the thing that it's like the bad thing that you do is also like the awesome thing because you're not doing it for clout you're not doing it for instagram like you don't give a fuck about any of that stuff which kind of sucks because it probably holds you back on like the sponsorship you know financial side of it but then on the other side like you just get to have so much fun it's like no one's what like no one's looking at you no one's expecting all this shit that you gotta like deliver like you're literally racing supercross in its most purest form like you're just doing it because you want to it's almost to a problem now because i'm getting pretty old doing this and it's like with the whole covid thing it's kind of extended it out a few years and it, it took me so long to be able to get here and then when i did get here i was never thought i'd still be doing it three years later or whatever but I'm kind of like, holy shit, this has sort of worked out a little bit. I've set myself up over here and this was meant to be the last year and the way that it's gone and the stuff that happened sort of before the season that made it quite hard, the I'm almost like, fuck, I've got to do it next year. And especially after the weekend with having people come up and with the gypsy tails on the bike and stuff like that and I'm like, 
fuck, I really should do it next year and try and do it better and get a little bit more support and have at least one more year of it. And the the other reason it was going to be like the last year for me was my parents were going to come and watch a race. And then unfortunately my, my nan kind of got a little bit sick. So they haven't been able to come over and I'm kind of sort of going to use it as an excuse now. I'm like, well, I better race next year. But at some point it's, it's going to have to stop because my, my body is literally falling apart and, but my mind is still like, dude, this is the sickest thing ever. I'm going to race Supercross until I'm 40. If I can afford, (laughs) but I can't dude, I'm now I'm like, I'll do two days of riding and I'm like, holy fuck, I can't even get out of bed now with my hip and my back and all that. Cause I just wish I hadn't had so many injuries when I was younger because yeah. it's, it's turned into now, like this whole Supercross season, touch wood, I've probably had two crashes in turns and I like I don't really crash anymore. Whereas when I do crash, I'm, I just fall apart. And, and so all those injuries when I was younger have caught up to me. Like my back is just um, like I tried to sleep on the floor last night at home because my back was just so hurting so bad after sitting in the car for 15 hours and stuff like that so i really do need to stop but i'm having too much fun that i haven't really figured out like everyone always says you should be trying to figure out what you're doing you should be building up to what you're going to do after racing but i haven't figured that out and i'm like well i just enjoy it way too much to stop so we're gonna basically run it till the wheels fall off and i think that's (laughs) That's honestly what's going to happen because when I finally got to go home last year um, and sort out my visa and everything like that, for the previous two years being here, I kept saying to my girlfriend, I need to go see the specialist about my hip when I get home. And I finally got to go see the specialist in June last year and they basically said, yeah, there's nothing left in there like cartilage-wise or anything. And he just said, you can get your hip replaced when you want to. And I'm just like... So, but you like, dude, when, like when I'm naked, like when I'm sending nudes to my girlfriend, you can see my, (laughs) when you can see my hip, it doesn't even sit in the socket properly anymore. I've got this big, like tennis ball size lump on the side of my body because it doesn't sit in like the socket. Right. And now it's causing a lot of drama. Like, um, my lower back is all fucked up because, I sort of stand, I never stand on my right leg anymore. I'm always standing on my left leg. Yeah. And, and it's like, yeah. Yeah. And that, hips and shit. Yep. And then that's caused problem. Like I, I've put a tear in my groin, uh, this season and it just won't go away. Like I just have to take time off the bike and not ride. And then that's frustrating cause you can't really cycle or anything like that. And then just that whole area. Cause I had my coccyx bone removed in 2016 oh. So really? just, yeah, because I've broken it so many times, it had curled under and wouldn't heal. So, <laughs> I ha- yeah, it's just like my body's a mess when you think about it. Like I've fractured T4, 5, 6, no, f- 7, 8, 11 in there. Like, I'm not even sure. I've fractured so many around my back. Now, never badly, but just enough to really sort of bother me now. And I yeah, hate yeah. to watch myself ride because... I've had so many shoulder injuries that I ride with my elbows really down and my back is really curved. So I kind yeah. of look, it's not like technique wise, it really bothers me now that, but I just can't do it. Like I've had 11 scapular fractures. So <sighs> yeah, like it's, but I just enjoy it so much. I'm just like, I can't see myself not doing it. Like, uh, 
Yoda on the weekend, we went to dinner and he was sort of, are you going to race next year? Is it still recording? Yeah. yeah good? Just, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, keep going, yeah. Uh, yeah, Yoda was like asking me if I'm going to race next year because he's going to be, I think, based in California again. We'll be able to train together. And I'm, I was kind of like hoping that, yeah, I can uh, get through it, but my body's just sort of falling apart and, and causing a bit of problems with that. But it's too enjoyable. I, I can't see myself not doing it. Yeah. What? So what? Like, if you have to explain to someone that tells you, like, you're fucking crazy. Like, what do you love about it so much? Just the, like, I always joke around, like, the mental test of it. Like, I even just the getting up and training, and I, if I don't do my program that I've sort of made myself or stick to it, like I've had the same thing that I always do, I feel guilty. And I'm, yeah. I was kind of, I was kind of hoping that that would go away, but it just hasn't. And the competitive side of it, like, I'm very aware of my ability. Like, I wouldn't come on here and sort of be like, I'm gonna keep working at it. I'm gonna get a ride and do it. Like, oh, I'm yeah. very aware of what I'm capable of and stuff like that. But I just enjoy it. The get the cycling. Like, I don't even enjoy the gym stuff sometimes but if i don't do it i just get pissed off at myself so i've got to get up and do it or yesterday after not sort of getting the sleep from the weekend by the time i got back from the embassy to get the china stuff i washed the bike and then it was 3 30 and yoga on mondays is always at 4 30 and i was just, i was i have to go do it so I, and i'm glad i did because i felt way better after doing it but just that guilt of not training i was i'm hoping at some stage that will go away and the competitive of like at the races i know i'm not gonna obviously go out there and, and get a top 10 or whatever anything like that but put me on the start line and i'll be next to someone i'm like i'm gonna beat this motherfucker to the first turn so yeah, i don't know I'm, yeah. I'm hoping at some stage that will go away because it, but it's not so i don't know what to do <laughs> yeah but man i like i just I got so much respect for you and so much love for that because that's why we should race. You know, like what what you're doing, it's just so pure and to not be to not be like disillusioned or to be uh disenchanted by oh the industry won't support me. No one's giving me this. No like you just fully prepared to just fucking do it all on your own for no other reason than you fucking want to do it and you love to do it and it's it's such a lesson for people i think you know like you, you can get inspired by like a chase sexton you can get inspired by eli tomac but at the same time it's not very relatable to them but you like you're fucking relatable it's so sick what you're doing and you know people should apply that same mentality not to you know doing a supercross race or whatever but just to their life in general it's just sick to and to have like the to have the balls to do it as well and to not care about you know what other people think or to not care about yeah results or riding style just and you just don't give a fuck about any of it and that's so sick it's i get sort of surprised especially during the COVID stuff and I know there's obviously different sides to it people couldn't probably get here or get their visas for racing or whatever but there hasn't really been any Australians that have come 
from like we've got like the Lawrence brothers who they're not yeah, even they're in the conversation. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, 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 different yeah. planet. But I thought it was cool this year, and he completely got screwed over with um, he got injured and stuff like that. But Mal Ross was going to come over and yep. and do it, and we rode a few times at the practice track, and he would have done really well this when he did come back because the 450 car class obviously has been decimated with injuries he would have done very well and it was sort of unfortunate that he had spent all that money to come do it and then it ended the way it did with his breaking his foot but I kind of get surprised that if you are a racer and there is like and you have that will to come and race over here just make it happen like do what sort of I did, go and just work your ass off back home to save up the money to be able to come over here and do it. But I feel like people get stuck in wanting to stay in Australia and race and being relevant there where, for me, I didn't give a fuck if I was relevant in Australia. I always had in my brain that I was going to race in America and it took a while because, like, the first time I came over, Anaheim won, broke my hand. Second time I came over, I was going to, like, race and I had got hurt before the season so i was going to do east coast drove all the way to the east coast first day at club mx broken shoulder so those first few times i tried i completely screwed it but i always thought i'm still going to race in america at some stage and i think that is a little bit delirious because i'm obviously yeah and i'm not obviously at the level to warrant coming to american racing but I always just thought, well, why wouldn't I race Supercross? Like, what's the point of staying and racing the Rinky Dink Australian Supercross Series when there's this one over here that's way better? So, yeah, and it, yeah. it honestly has taken me a few years to get into it. Like, even on the weekend, I realized on the way home, I, I'm not sitting on the start line, I didn't look up and look at the crowd. And it probably took until last year, probably at Seattle was the first time I sat on the start line and didn't think, I should look up and this is pretty cool but it does take a long time to get comfortable with racing in another country and on the spectacle that supercross is here whereas i think if you came over and you ha- you're on a team and you had that infrastructure around you you wouldn't really realize how big of a thing it is to be racing here but for me coming and just being by myself it was a little bit daunting in the beginning like i do sit on the start line and you put me next to anyone i'll be like fuck them i'm gonna try and beat them but in saying that there is that part of your mind that's sort of like well shit we're here now it's way bigger and there is like some of the rounds there's fifty thousand people in the stands so i think i slowly started to get over that when i first came over i got knocked out at uh, glendale in i think it was 17 i tried to race the 450 class and got knocked out on the starting line and when i got back to the the van i said to my friend that was with me i wasn't late like on the start line too long and he goes dude you took forever to get your bike started so i was just sitting there with all these people watching but i was just cuckoo because i'd been knocked out but that whole type of thing it sort of it took me a while to now to just sort of be like oh it's just another supercross so and because i didn't get to come home and race the australian supercross sort of since 2019 this just became normal for me and the will to just want to keep racing like at one point I just didn't have anyone to come with me to the races so in 2021 for the shootout in Salt Lake I just went by myself so I drove to Salt Lake and whenever I would go out on the track I 
would call mum and dad and say, I'm going out now and I'll call you when I get back in. So I'd lock up the van and go out. And all day I was so slow because I was just kind of a bit in my head that shit, you're here by yourself. Yeah, yeah. in my head, I'm like, well, it's fine because you're just going to get the whole shot in the heat race and you'll be sweet. And then I went out and I got second on the start. And because it was a shootout, you had to be top nine to make it through the main. I remember this. I remember this. Yeah. And the the East that I was on that year because it was the COVID races, the East was pretty weak. So I I ended up getting eighth in the heat race. And I remember being on the start line and I had to ask the two mechanics next to me to put my button in like my whole yeah. button and they're like where's your mechanic i'm like dude i'm just here by myself chilling so <laughs> it was, yeah it's pretty fun like to make the shootout i thought that that's probably like one of my best accomplishments is to make the shootout and just be just chilling there by myself and it was a funny story because because I, I was there by myself i kept locking the van up and after the second qualifying <laughs> session the keys? well just like hide them up under the wheel or whatever and <laughs> I accidentally didn't pack my yes, mountain bike up. I had the mountain bike at the front of the van leading up against the, the mountain bike. And after the second qualifying session, I went to the wash bay, washed my bike, and um, I get back to my van and there's about 10 cops standing around my van. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on? And some chick in the pits, like, I don't know if she was homeless or whatever, she tried to walk out with my mountain bike and luckily the failed guys had security and they chased her back and she ditched the mountain bike and then they arrested her. So I nearly no. lost my mountain bike. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I'm just there by myself at the race just going, well, this is sick. We're still at a Supercross. <laughs> and in the main event and in the East-West shootout. Yeah, yeah, it's fr- pretty funny. Oh, dude. And fuck, that shit's priceless, bro. You know, like there's so many dudes that... You just, yeah, you just don't have that story, you know? Like, that's such a cool thing. Like, you'll never forget that. No, yeah. Sort of the not having, like, doing it the way it is now. Like, obviously, I'd like to do it with more... Like, I'd like to be a better rider and have more support. But I do get a lot of funny stories out of it. And on the way home from uh, Denver <laughs> the other the other day, I'm, I was talking to my girlfriend. I'm, I'm like... You do realize I'm trying my hardest. Like, because <laughs> when you go, she said, Well, that was a really good weekend. And I'm like, When you really think about it, I got 17th. It's not that good of a weekend, is it? You, if you went, I'm going to race at the top level in the sport, and you said, Well, you're going to end up 17th on the weekend, I'd be like, Well, that's a bit fucking shit, Why isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, she, but And she was like, No, no, you, that was really good. And I was kind of like, well, I, I am trying my hardest. That's everything I had out there. And I just wonder if you say like a, in my position, obviously I'm a lot further back in the field, but like a McAdoo or someone like that, I shouldn't name names, but like he's obviously trying his hardest and he's going up against someone like Jet Lawrence, who's yeah. just a freak of nature that rides around like he's on a slot car track. And it's got to be so frustrating when they're training their balls off just as hard as like Jet and all that, but they're second. And it's kind of like that. It's a very, anyone that says you can work hard at anything and and be anything you want in life, I kind of say, well, that's a bit fucking stupid, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. Yeah, it is. Like fucking, you can work as hard as you want, but I'm never going to be as good as Jet Lawrence. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> that fuck is a freak. I just know. <laughs> Oh, dude. Hey, you're so fucking right, bro. And how much better is your life when you actually admit that to yourself? Yeah, I, I find it funny when um, people sort of like, well, if we just keep working, you know, we're going to get there. And it's like, you're 27 and you're not on a factory team. You're not going to get there. Like, <laughs> just enjoy yourself. Just work hard, do your best, and don't go around telling people that you what you're going to do and how amazing you're going to be and all that because... At the end of the day, you're probably not going to be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, mate. I completely agree. eh? Like, I was having this conversation the other day where it's like, and it it sort of sounds like shit in a way when you say it, but it's like, I am successful in this podcast because I'm just literally being me. Like, I'm not trying. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I work, like, I'm working hard at it and I do what I've got to do. But at the end of the day, like, I don't have to try to do... I never write questions down. I never do research. I never, like... This but is, the I'm thing like, with do, that is, like, how many podcasts... If there's millions and millions of podcasts out there, they are all trying, like yeah, you're you're just good at this exactly, you're just yeah. you're good at this you're very very lucky and you found your niche and yeah, you're good exactly. at this but there's a dude out there with a podcast with his two followers fucking you're not but, gonna make it <laughs> but the thing is is like the suffering that's attached to that trying to be something that you're not but so this is the like the beautiful thing right like you can still do your podcast and have 20 followers and enjoy it. And that's the exact same as you racing Supercross, getting 17th, having a fucking ball and like not torturing yourself over it. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Like, and I think that that's like the, like what you've discovered is honestly just a key thing in life is that maybe you're not going to be Jet Lawrence. But you can still go to Supercross and you can still have a fucking ball and not care that you're not going to get a factory ride and not, you know, and it's, it's the, it's the expectations and the, what you attach to the thing. That's the thing that can like ruin it for people. And that's why I think it's so cool that you've got the attitude that you've got and you go about it the way that you do, because you can do, when you've got the attitude that you've got, you can do anything in life and enjoy it yeah like you would think that like it's just more enjoyable because i'm not delirious in the fact that what i'm going to achieve in it like i'm very aware of what i'm capable of and i just try and enjoy the training aspect of it getting to go and race and that is still a hard thing even on the weekend you put so much work into it that it does become stressful if you were to fuck it up or like getting the whole shot on the weekend in the LCQ went around the first turn. I was like, well shit, better not fuck this one up. So, <laughs> so this will be a tough one to explain to dad call like, cause dad don't give a shit, but I still call him after the race and be like, Oh, sorry about that. If I, but he's like, I don't care, but I still have expectations and it's not like I'm well, you saying, do Oh, your best. yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying, Oh, I don't give a fuck. Cause like, everything in my life is revolving around this it's still like everything to me but i think being around a lot of americans they have this some type of belief in a uh, belief in them that is delirious like, like everyone's they, special 
Yeah, if you just work hard, you can be a champion. It's like, dude, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're the best, dude. I love it. So, but in saying that, I still will go to the races and and try my best and give myself the best opportunity to be able to do as, as good as I can. And I think the hard thing with sort of getting across to people is that because I don't post on social media or anything that much, I am working my balls off. Like that, that was yeah. the best I could do on the weekend and I'm really, really trying. But yeah. some people might think like, and I'm sure there is writers out there that are just naturally talented and aren't training and getting 17th. But that is literally everything I've got to be able to get to the races and make mains and, and do my best. So it's this year's been quite hard because West has been pretty stacked in my opinion. Yeah. But I still feel like I'm riding just as like as good as I did last year. Maybe a little bit uh, slower just because of a couple injuries. But I still am at riding well. And it's just you've just got to do your best and not sort of have that belief that you're going to be way better than you are. You just got to try and enjoy it when, yeah. yeah. Nah, dude. I Yeah, I, th- I honestly think you've nailed it. Like, and to... Mate, like, I'll spend fucking years talking about supercross and i'll make a living from supercross and it's like you know i probably make as much as some of the riders that get paid to ride supercross but i will never fucking race a supercross like it oh it's something in my life i'll never do like you're at 17th mate i would fucking kill to get 17th one night at a 250 west coast you know like it's all the the comparison like comparison is the thief of joy you know and it's like mate i'd give fucking anything to get 17th and there's so many people out there like yeah you can say like oh well fuck shit night like i got seven 17th if you're looking at it as from the 20 people the only the 20 people that were in your race but it's like bro there's a fucking million dudes out there that would give anything to have the level of riding to get 17th in a supercross race you know well, so like it's it's that that side of the coin that you got to play as well and you see online sometimes fans sort of will not pick on but they'll write something about some of the guys that only just sort of make night shows and they're showing up and they're like why are they even bothering why would you even bother yeah yeah but if that. those guys are coming from a wealthy family or they're just getting by with their two grand or whatever from the races that if they're enjoying it and that's what they want to do I don't see a problem with it. Like I, I know once you turn thirty and you, you just show up to race. Yeah, maybe you start to move on with life. But even going into this last weekend, because my season has been so shit and rough, I was kind of thinking, am I just turning into the dude that's showing up for the night show? I'm like, dude, I have to make this main event on the weekend because it mentally, I'm like, dude, I'm not showing up just to be not only in the night show i am making mains so i it was very relieving on the way home to be like okay made a main maybe i'm not as bad as i was thinking coming into the end of this season (laughs) nah dude to to be doing what you're doing is is sick you know like like i said there's so many people that would that would you know give anything to to sort of do it and and like yeah you're right you can't you you can't do it forever but at the end of the day, like, you get one life and if it's a thing that you enjoy doing and as long as you're not, like, ruining your life for it, you know, 
Yeah, yeah. As long as I'm not yeah spending all my money and just putting myself in a hole later in life, or even putting my parents in a, in a hole. Yeah, yeah. But I like my girlfriend's kind of getting a little bit over it because when I met her. I was in the position of like, well, I'm basically done racing. I hadn't raced sort of in a couple of years because of the injuries and stuff like that. And every year that I've raced, it's been the last year. And then this <laughs> year was actually meant to be the last year. And I'm kind of like been slowly slipping into the conversations. Well, next year we'll be doing it. And she's like, kind of, what, what do you mean? Sort of, but I'm really hoping I, I do next year. I try and get myself a little bit more, um, I don't know the word, like, professional with organization and having sponsors yeah. for each round to make that a little bit easier but the big reason is now is i just want my parents to be able to come over and watch yeah. a race because dad doesn't understand like we went to marvel for ozx open and i sort of said he's like damn this is quite big um like, it's not this isn't the same as america it's the even though it is like Marvel's amazing to race in and stuff like that, but it's still not the same. It's not the same spectacle as it is in America. like an A1 or something. Yeah, dude, A1, every time, that stadium, every time I walk in it, it just seems massive. Yeah, and yeah. you walk the track and you're like, holy shit, I'm only halfway around. Whereas in Australia, sort of, it's still like a 40-something second lap time and it's quite small compared to some of the events in America. Whereas... We're going to Salt Lake this weekend, and that stadium floor plan is quite small. I always kind of have enjoyed racing at Salt Lake because it's almost kind of a bit Aussie, just a beefier version of Australia. Same with yeah. everyone like complains with Denver um, that it's sort of hard pack and and shitty and that. But coming like, from it's just like home, dude. Last year <laughs> at Denver in because it was a day race that was just absolute yeah, concrete. Was, there was just yeah, a yeah. black rubber mark around the whole track, and I'm like, this is sick. This is like back <laughs> home. I would like yeah, some yeah. spec tires, but this is sick, <laughs> dude. That's so good. Yeah, I think you've got to you got to do it and document it though. I reckon next year, like that. That's probably another reason. Like you've done it for years now just on your own no one's seen it like even just for yourself i reckon just having the memories of just like you know committing to filming it filming it for the year even if you do something where you're like oh we'll try and figure it out when it comes closer to it but even if you just do something where it's like you get a camera you log the footage we'll show you how to dump it and then you know like we'll send it off to get fucking edited or so you don't have to deal with like that bullshit but like even just documenting like the way that you do it and i don't know like there's there's got to be something cool in that um you know just like really showing people like kind of how you've done it because it is unique man i don't know that many guys that are doing it the way that you are well yeah it is like coming from back home and i had done a little bit of the bike work like i've slowly learned more and more but coming here and then being by yourself and you you kind of like, well, I have to take the motor out now. And now I've gotten pretty quick at doing motor changes and stuff like that because even after Oakland this year, I had on the race bike, I, I must have at Anaheim too landed on a tough block or something like that and landed with a shifter up really hard because it had cracked the case uh, a little bit or something yeah, like that yeah. inside. And I hadn't ridden the race bike until the Wednesday before Oakland and I rode it at Elsinore and it um it started having a like it missed 
a couple of shifts a few times, but I sort of thought, oh, it's fine. And then when I went to Oakland in the free practice, I missed one big shift. And then all day at Oakland, I would uh, sort of shift up to fourth and then for the whoops, and then I'd shift down twice to go into the next turn, but it would only go down once. And then I would have to go down on the first double and then I'd shift back up and it was sort of landing and guessing what gear I was in. So after that race, I had the race bike had to be, the motor had to come out so that could be fixed and then the practice bike had it was due for a piston and it just sort of timed it so that i all like, at the same time and so i just i just didn't ride for like three weeks and i'm lucky that i had the 350 sort of sitting there but that wasn't rideable either because i sort of put that to the side and hadn't sort of got that ready so before seattle i only rode supercross twice but in that five week or four week break so that sort of stuff it I need to be a little bit more organized with, but it's sort of when shit goes wrong, like who would have thought that I would have landed yeah, on top yeah. of you? Like, so yeah. that makes it hard because you do have, when you're trying to build momentum during the season or whatever, you do have breaks, whereas team guys and that, they don't. They just sort of get it fixed or whatever and you keep the program going. But like AC would have no idea what's wrong with any of his bikes. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Have, but I've, I have gotten pretty good at the mechanical side of thing like if you held a gun to my head i could probably do a piston but i wouldn't want to because it wouldn't be timed right or whatever but everything else it's basically just common sense you just slowly (laughs) pick like when i got the uh the kdm like the gas gas the the electrical i'm like well fuck i gotta figure this out so it's just slowly picking away and and if i do get stuck i've got like there is mechanics that are quite awesome like nate alexander and um who else is like Scott Youngstrand and, and Ben Griffith. They're my go-tos. I just, if I Benny, have any problems. Shout out to Benny. Shout out yeah, to Benny. He's a legend. He's been really good to <laughs> the me. Biggest that, legend. Before the season, I couldn't get my brakes to bleed up. And then I took him around to him and that fucker got him in five minutes. I spent hours trying to get my brakes split <laughs> up. And he's like, oh, you just got to know the tricks. I'm like, you motherfucker. <laughs> oh, dude. I love that guy. Uh, you know, when I get back over there, me, you, and him should do like three of us on the podcast. I reckon that would be hilarious. Yeah, he's probably actually got some like good stories and good knowledge because if you really oh, think yeah, about it, he comes so from much, England. He's, yeah. he's won championships in Australia with um, DPH and yeah. then he's come over here, worked for Anderson and that whole group, which I'm sure was pretty cool. Loose. And... <laughs> Yeah, and now, and originally he was only working, I think, at Grindstone, just working on like customers' bikes or whatever, and then moved over to Anderson. And now he's at Factory Honda. So to think about someone that's come from and worked his way up, like not being from America, sometimes I feel like it just takes a long time to weasel your way into getting the job that he has because it's pretty cool now like obviously he's an amazing mechanic but to get the opportunities it takes a long time yeah well i think that yeah it just speaks to he's such a good dude you know like there's there's a million mechanics that are good mechanics but there how many are real good mechanics and real good dudes that you actually want to be around you know one thing i i always thought with mechanics is don't you feel like every mechanic thinks they're the best mechanic Oh, dude, and it, like there's my way or the highway we've built. It's every like, shut the fuck guy. up. <laughs> every suspension guy has their secret <laughs> fucking sauce. Dude, I won't name them. I won't name them. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so 
this is when I was working with JDR, right? They spent one season. So the electronics that are in pretty much like all the factory dudes are using this electronics these days. And uh, like I was actually just in Italy for MXGP in the Cowie rig. And then I saw one of the guys that worked for this company and JDR like bought them into the, into Supercross and Motocross. So they were running like, bro, they spent $500,000 or some shit on like these this company to come in and do all these, like they do cars and stuff. So anyway, we just get out of this fucking meeting with this company that's put 500 grand worth of fucking thing in. We go to pick up uh, a friend over there who had his race bike getting built. And uh, we went into this guy's shop and then <clears throat> Jay's like, oh, oh, what kind of horsepower are you getting out of the, that year 250? Because he was building some 250 race engines for, for KTMs. And he's like, oh, I can't tell you that, mate. Like I put in that and uh, <laughs> we both just were like, oh, fuck. Well, it ain't a half a million dollars just yeah. on ignition. So like, are you really giving away that much to us, bro? And it was like, he just fucking thought he had the secret sauce. And I was just like, mate, you and every other fuckwit that works on a bike. It's funny like that. that They don't want their secrets out or teams don't want, like, I'm not talking about over here because it's all very professional and that. But I remember being on um, uh, Raceline Suzuki back in the day in Australia. Yeah, yeah. At that time, like I've only got good things to say about Woodsy and and the Tisdales and all that. They were awesome to me. But in that time, Woodsy had just left, and we like they were trying to keep the team going. And and the the manager that was running it, he was really cool dude. But he just it was way too much work for him to do at the time. He just by himself. And I was running. from the year before i think it was errol willis suspension suspension from the year before i had duct tape holding in the air screw on the top like the bleed screw and i went and took my suspension to get done by someone else and i got in big trouble because but i was like fuck this like i want (laughs) that then i got in trouble for it and they're like well we can't have people seeing in the stuff and i'm like well what's help me what's in there bro yeah yeah it hasn't been serviced in months it's shims and oil. That's it. That's what's in there. Yeah, it's it's funny uh, all that. Everyone thinks they're the best mechanic or whatever, but it's just, at the end of the day, it's just mechanics. Oh, mate, yeah. And especially like, fuck, it's so funny. I've had so many stories and like just seen it so many times. And I'm like, mate, I can't feel the fucking difference between any of this shit anyway. <laughs> what he's carrying on about. I always find it funny when vet riders or whatever want to talk about their setup and i need to do this and maybe it's just because i've never had the opportunity to test but yeah yeah dude i don't know shit when it comes to like i i i do and i can tell you what the bike's doing and and stuff like that but i i'm not the one to come back and go oh we need to go out in the rebound or whatever like that i can that's one thing i've struggled with outdoors i feel like you need to actually have testing and have a bike set up whereas with supercross you as long as it's stiff enough to go through the whoops <laughs> like i haven't even had i'm i'm lucky if i've got um Derek kelly's mechanic out at the track because he'll help me with my sag or whatever dude i'll go for like a month at a time without checking the sag <laughs> because i've got no one there to help me so uh, yeah it's just so rinky dink sometimes but it 
as long as the bike's running fine, it's, it's not too bad. Like the other day, I hopped on the race bike before um, we were at Denver and I absolutely hated my race bike because the I tried to cut a corner this year and only buy one bike. So I used the race bike from last year as my practice bike. Yeah. But the difference in the frames now, one of them has way too many hours. hours. Yeah. And like all the motors fresh and everything, like they're the same motor, but the feel wise is so completely different that I hopped on the race bike and I freaking hated it. And yeah. I, I ended up before Denver, I just put all my practice bike suspension in the race bike because that stuff's got probably 20 hours on it and yeah. the fresh stuff felt crappy. But I, yeah, I, the, what was I saying? The, the, yeah, just the like difference the in, yeah. yeah the, oh, so I was, practicing on the practice bike and i hadn't done the sag for a few weeks i was running 109 mil of sag and i've been sort of running about 98 and i hopped (laughs) on the race bike and they had measured it up to 98 and i was like this is horrible what is going on but for three weeks i'd been riding with the wrong sag so ended up jacking it a bit down and it was sweet for the weekend (laughs) dude that's so funny yeah the the frames will make a big difference especially on the on the steel frames like once you start putting bulk hours on on those on uh on the, the steel, steel frame frames. like they start to get real loose which is good for outdoors and shit but not for like at hemet now there's the just a standard triple and then you go into these two low triples that are quite fast and i f- swear my practice bike i land in the middle of them and the, the practice bike just wobbles the frame <laughs> and it, like because you it flexes so much compared to the race bike that's only sort of got 20 hours on the frame so yeah. that's what I learned my lesson this year. I got to sell everything and start with two bikes because new bikes because just the difference has made it super hard. It takes me a day to get used to each time. The, yeah. Yeah. So, but shouldn't have tried to cut a corner in the off season, I guess. Well, it's funny. I bought the I bought this O four YZ two fifty, the last of the steel frame. Yeah, and yeah. The first, the first time I kickstarted it, I thought I fucking bent the thing in half and had that much flex. I was like, dude, this is out of control. No wonder it, they liked them. It must. It would have been interesting back in the day with all the the two strokes, and you got to think in the early nineties or whatever, the steel frames weren't what they were in the two thousands. And so, how often were they changing frames? Like, oh, bro, it would have been a lot. I oh, just, you remember over jumped that triple and snapped his completely in half. Yeah, he's triple clamp. Yeah, that. So that it's funny you say that because 2002 was the first year that I sort of started to realize what American Supercross was because we didn't have yeah. pay TV and yeah, obviously yeah back I was home. 04. Really? So you had yeah, yeah. you had Channel Seven, Channel Nine, and Channel Ten yeah, on the yeah, TV. Yeah. So Dad <laughs> yeah. at the practice track or whatever must have found some guy that had vhs tapes or whatever so i remember having anaheim one where carmichael uh went over the bars in 02 and then we had like san diego with the good race between pastrana and Wyndham on the suzuki's the heat race and yeah. then like phoenix and and a few things like that so i had the race that pingree snapped his triple clamps and i i wish we sometimes like obviously technology and that is amazing these days and you don't have to worry about your bike cutting out because of carb issues and stuff like that. But imagine if we still were on 125s and yeah. and you're still struggling to make triples and the because you watch 
the pace back in the day in those one two five races not so much the 250s because they're like fast and those riders are amazing but you watch that they can't even get through the whoops like they skim the first five whoops and then the power and they just drop bang, down whoop, in whoop, yeah whoop, whoop, like yeah. imagine if supercross was still like that these days well dude like you've been there this year it actually you might be a good person to talk about it but like there is so before everyone gets at me in the fucking comments that HEP Suzuki team is not factory Suzuki. That's no, got it's, some, it's they've still privateers, right? Essentially, well, yeah. Jamie like at Twisted support. is doing like they're yeah. legitimately just got a company that, and I'm sure they get some type of transmission parts oh, or what. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're but shit. they're still but they're being not built by a company that is just as accessible to everyone. Yeah. So at Denver Supercross, when the finish line, like the checkered flag flew. There was two factory riders left in the 450 class. That is so hectic, dude. That ma- that goes back to like, was it 03 or one of the years there was basically like Chad and Ricky left and the yeah. rest were hurt. Yeah. So it, I guess, and everyone sort of says... You're right, man. Like it kind of... It just I guess it has happened before, yeah. Yeah, like in 03, I think the last six races or whatever was Chad, Ricky and Fonseca. That was the yeah. podium because they were the only ones left. So right. uh, when people say, oh, the sport's sort of dangerous, I feel like it's always going to be dangerous. Anyone can tip over in a corner and hurt themselves or yeah. look what happened with Webb, Webb. in Nashville. Yeah. That's just... Like anyone, you could fall over in a turn at the practice track and get hit like that. Same, same shit. Yeah. So when people say oh, it's too dangerous now, and I do think that the it is da- more dangerous now with the speeds and just what the four fifties and that are capable of. Like I can't freaking ride a four fifty. I'm only sixty kilos, and well, I can ride one, and when it starts to go wrong it's just done i'm just yeah it's over, like yeah, yeah you're just a passenger yeah. yeah yeah so when you think about that compared to a 252 stroke how light that is and what you can get away with that i understand that there's that side of it but also the power of a 450 can get you out of trouble as well so yeah, yeah. when people talk about how we need to sort of make the sport safer yeah that they, they should always be looking to make the sport safer but it could just be one of those years. Like it, it does happen where yeah. it, but it is pretty amazing that there was two factory guys left on the weekend. Yeah. I wonder like Casey Stoner, he, he has probably the best suggestion that I've heard. And that's that we should go to like some kind of supercross tire, like a custom made tire for supercross that just doesn't have the, like the knobby height that, the current tires do because if you think about it's it's all the ruts and the transitions that it's like because it seems like nowadays the transitions between the and you'd obviously be able to speak to this better than me but it's like the edges and the ruts and the the kickers that you're getting through whoops and then like the the ruts in the transitions of the up ramps it just seems like they're so gnarly nowadays like way gnarlier than they used to be and i just wonder if that's a mix between the rear tire and the amount of power and torque that 450s have and we're doing 20 minutes instead of 20 laps sometimes yeah, they're it's like doing 26 27 laps on a map. yeah 27 laps imagine like how much 
races would be different back in the day if there was seven more laps like so saying that about the the tracks breaking down it's all like i try and tell my mates back home that you watch on tv and you don't really understand how completely like obliterated the whoops get like all of the riders on the line if you built a set of whoops that was who gives a fuck how high they are like three meters whatever they all can skim them. like obviously the top guys would skim them faster but we can all skim whoops yeah. but when they get blown apart those top guys continue to skim <laughs> them and then it. that's where i'm kind of like well i don't have that skill so yeah. i honestly don't understand how sometimes they skim them because there was what was it last year anaheim three i think it was where everyone crashed in the whoops and basically yeah, no, it was in, anaheim three yeah um tomac and anderson were the ones still skimming in the end and i just blown away like how the hell do you have the skill on the bike and the strength and all that to be able to go through a set of whoops like that because it's literally like a bomb's going off in the whoops and that's the thing those top guys continue to skim sometimes i think shit they probably don't really want to skim but they're on factory teams they just have to send it into it and that's why you have crashes whereas sometimes i'm like well i'll be doubling these ones like in saying that i got 12th last uh at, at home three last year because all those like all the guys <laughs> crashed and i'm yeah, like well, fuck yeah. i'm just doubling and tripling these whoops so <laughs> Dude, it, it, you yeah smoked hunter that weekend yeah, yeah, he was. He's still laying there, <laughs> yeah. dude. I honestly think sometimes with those, because I've been quite brittle throughout my like career, those guys will have a hit like that and get up and race the next weekend. I'd still be laying there, like, <laughs> I, like I fall over in the corner. I'm like, oh, well, fucking broke my shoulder in three places. But yeah, they just collarbone. Yeah, yeah, but those guys are so amazing. Sometimes just to get up and like the. Web crash when he went over the whoops oh, few, uh, on the dragon's back went over the bars oh, and Atlanta, yeah, da- or Dallas or whatever what it was where he landed on the concrete and then raced the yeah, next weekend. Bro. Fuck that! That's gnarly. When that stuff comes, so I would love to see behind the scenes of what injuries they actually have to be able to ride through that because yeah. I've I've raced with fractured scapulas and and all that sort of stuff it's not easy like and they're doing it at their level that's what i don't understand that their level is still so high and they can overcome this stuff because they're doing i still don't understand how it works because i get nagging injuries and all that throughout the season and i'm only doing eight or nine west races and we've got all these breaks those top guys are doing 17 rounds in 18 weekends yeah they're flying commercial so you've got Joe Blow sitting next to you on the plane coffin and then they have one weekend off and then they'll do 12 rounds in 14 weekends and it's 100 degrees, like it's 40 degrees every day basically in summer here. So how the hell are they doing it without getting IVs or anything like that? And there is rules, but sometimes it makes me question how the fuck they're doing it because I know how tired I get and I know they're not, they're just focused on riding but sometimes I'm like, holy shit, those guys are so gnarly to show up every weekend and and perform at the level that they do. Mate, I could not agree more. Like, you never want to accuse people of taking shit. Yeah. But like, 
But like, fuck, dude. Like, you know, and even like me, right? So I'm on my my big week for me. This is like my gnarliest week that I'll have. I'll do jujitsu three times or four times max, and then I'll ride twice. I can't get off the fucking couch. <laughs> For the entire week. Once I've done my Saturday Arvo motos, <laughs> like it's over, bro. Dude, half the time for me, I'm basically just in zombie mode. Like I'll, I, it, like my program is, I get up at six. I if I'm riding that day, I go down, I hop on the cycle, do my fifteen minutes, and then I stretch. And then you to the track, you do your motos, you kind of finish about one. And then depending on what day it is, like a Tuesday or a, a Friday or whatever, I'll do an hour on the cycle at low heart rate. And I, I'm i basically just a zombie. Like Wednesdays I do my gym workout and that's one thing that I've basically had to cut back on. I only go to the gym sort of once a week to do weights because I physically can't do it anymore sort of i just basically just do my shoulder rehab with my bands and then a few like everything now is just trying to keep my body sort of going and yeah. you see those guys and they're training hard and that sometimes i think i do too much but then i kind of have that guilt of well shit they're probably doing something like this but i just have my program that i've sort of tried to figure out but sometimes i just have to go nah i just i shouldn't do that because at the end of the day, you're trying to be a motorbike rider. You're not trying to be a, a fit person in yeah. everything sort of thing. You're just a motorbike rider. So for me, I always make sure I get my yoga done and then my cycles with my low heart rate. And then if anything has to drop off, it's the other stuff because yeah. you, as long as I get my riding and then the yoga and that in, that's what sort of keeps me going. But even the riding, sometimes I'll cut back to – if we're racing back to back weeks like this week i'll only ride once just because with the driving when you think about it to drive to denver that's basically 30 hours of driving in that week and then to go to salt lake will be another sort of 22 in that week it's you just get absolutely rooted yeah yeah, you're a truckie and a race (laughs) yeah and i've (laughs) got to get lucy to be able to my girlfriend to learn how to drive the van because she can't like she's I don't want to blow her out on here, but she's not the best driver. <laughs> and I, I haven't quite trusted her yet to be able to drive the van. So she basically just sits in the passenger seat and pokes me when I start to get a little bit tired. But she's been lately, uh, she'll tap out about 1am and then she'll hop in the back and sleep and um, I'll just sort of keep driving and put on a podcast and, and try and zombie it through the night. But if you don't do that, then the whole week, like if you, I you've had... your week. Yeah, like I had to sort of have the only the two hour and a half hours of sleep after Denver to get back to be able to prep the bike and that so that I can ride on the Tuesday or the Wednesday and then we've got to go on Thursday. So it that sort of stuff, I was trying to talk with um, Mason Kerr on the weekend because he's been traveling around and doing all the 450 races and I was kind of like, to some weeks you just not ride? And he's like, yep, we just only ride at the races some weeks because otherwise where are you going to ride when you're in detroit or wherever supercross is yeah yeah exactly yes sometimes just that's the difference in the i feel like someone like that has to be in their own race with their own like in their mindset of well i'm not competing with the guys that are yeah we're doing a different sport 
yeah, it's a completely different sport. But in so, it's that's what makes Supercross and Motocross so interesting because we are racing at the top level in the world, but also we're just kind of normal people in the back yeah. half of the field. Whereas in MotoGP or Formula One or whatever. That doesn't exist. No, that doesn't exist. And the thing for me is we, like being a privateer, and I'm sure the top guys get messages and that, but they're so top they can just ignore them. Whereas I feel (laughs) when someone messages me from Australia or whatever, I feel bad and I always accept it and I'll try and reply and stuff like that. Whereas... I feel like those top guys would just be have to be so selfish and just be like, well, fuck it, I'm not. Or they wouldn't even run their social media because yeah. you have to draw a line somewhere and distance yourself from it because they've got a job to do and you can't. You have to be kind of rude sometimes to people. Yeah. Man, I, I struggle with that big time because like I pretty much do the same thing. I accept every message and I try and reply to pretty much everyone. And like, like lately... I've started deleting Instagram like literally off my phone and just having it on my internet browser because like yeah even for me to just distance myself from the podcast even just and then between that and like I don't really give not I don't give a fuck about YouTube comments but I don't a YouTube comment is different than like a direct message on Instagram for me but like yeah dude it can just fully run your life eh yeah yeah and even like on the at the races now basically lucy's job is to if someone does come into the pit tent because i don't even have a banner or anything i'm just lucky that motel gave me a quick shade and people can just walk in and start talking and on the weekend i was trying to change (laughs) a sprocket and i'm like dude i've got 30 minutes to get back to qualifying i'm sorry i can't talk so now lucy would just talk to him and everyone's fine with talking to a young chick so that seems sweet but like this weekend i had someone coming into the pit tent and they asked if they could sit on my bike this probably about a 14 year old girl came up and asked to sit on the bike and i was i didn't want to be rude and say well no so then they and they took for i'm like what is going on right now i'm like trying to work on the bike and these people are coming up and asking to sit on it i should have should have charged them oh uh, kevin Moran's does <laughs> no uh not kevin oh does he is it um no nah, i don't know pete piazza I, oh really well, he was doing the bike rev. Um, didn't you see that the he was revving ah. the? He was marketing genius. He had like a a pit board that said twenty dollars to rev my bike. That's sick. But then he he got shut down because I think he got a bit carried away with it because it yeah, would be pretty annoying to be next to fun a dude. Police, yeah, yeah. But in saying that, that's pretty cool to come up with something yeah, like yeah. no one's thought of that for yeah. however long Supercross has been running. And dude, yeah, that's, that's fucking funny. Because the general fan it doesn't is so like oblivious to the whole sport that if they were to see I can rev a bike, like holy shit, that is pretty cool. But have you ever been up in the stands? Let's say for me, if I hadn't made like the main or just going to watch the Supercross, you sit up in the stands and you listen to some of the conversations people have about oh, the. I just have no idea. And they're saying like Tomac's on the on the KDM or and you just you just want to you have to bite your tongue and go this dude has no idea but that's yeah. the type of fan that 90% of the people at the event that would be yeah yeah it, it's a it's a man it's a weird thing eh? like in the sport and 
it's like one of was what one of my big motivations with the podcast was to try and like because i always think about the ufc because that's like the other sport that's the only non-moto that's all i follow like yeah yeah i've transitioned from i only used to listen to moto stuff and then slowly now probably 60 percent of what i listen to is just mma so that's like a sport for me that i've been able to just throw myself into because when you've had a bad weekend of that you don't want to put on a moto more moto shit so it's been good because i'll with all my bike work and stuff like that i just listen to mma podcasts whether it's like the um bisping podcast or the weighing in or anything like that i listen to all them so i i'm fully just a like i would say i the the fans that are sitting in the stands at supercross i am basically that person for MMA like I don't I've never fought I've never trained or anything like that but I know all the fighters like majority of them and I know what they're good at and all that sort of stuff but if I was to have a conversation with someone who's an actual MMA person that would be like holy shit this guy knows nothing but you would know way more compared to the dudes that come to Supercross right yeah I would say so but that's yeah I guess because I I wouldn't I would hope that I wouldn't be saying something that was completely ridiculous about MMA. Yeah, yeah. Whereas so those guys don't know that they're saying something ridiculous about Supercross. Yeah, and so, like, that that's kind of what I... Because, dude, you just... You look at the numbers, right? Like, for the random content that you see on the internet for, like, a an MMA or a fucking... Uh, yeah like we'll just stay on the mma example it's like the content that you've got like israel adesanya does a fight reaction video and it'll get like damn near a million views and then i'll do one like i'd put one up yesterday and it got 50k so it's like he's 20 times bigger than like or that let's just say that video is 20 times bigger than my video but it's like our stadiums are way fucking bigger than what super so like the actual people like i've never been to a ufc oh haven't you no like never actually been in in the crowd for one but i've been to like a bunch of supercrosses and like you said fifty thousand, sixty thousand. like most of the time the are like the you know the arenas that the fights are going in so like fourteen thousand people and then it's like on pay-per-view i guess it's on espn now but so i guess the point is is like supercross has so many people going to it and they've got so many people that are viewing it it's on nbc sports like it's a fucking huge sport but there's a disconnect between like the fans that go to the races and the like watch it and the ones that are like really in the sport and so that's where i was like well with this podcast i was like well i just want to try and start to capture those people that like the casuals like that's what they call them in yeah yeah, yeah. in M- mma yeah, yeah. You know? it's like we don't have like casuals we either have dudes that think they know fucking everything <laughs> or the dude that'll pay 20 dollars to rev a bike like there's no casual fans no like we were we were lucky in it would have been a couple of years ago now we went to a ufc event in vegas we went to t-mobile arena and watched the volkanovsky ortega oh, fuck dude yeah. it was sick but in saying that we should have just gone to a bar and watched it because all you i, can't I we, see anything eh? dude we were at the very back because 
like I think our tickets were three hundred and fifty bucks or something like that. It's still expensive, eh? We just watched the screen the whole time. We couldn't Volkanovski and Ort- they were so small you couldn't actually see what was going on. But in saying that, it was cool because the atmosphere was pretty sweet. But it's so funny that that like we have the the type of fans that don't really know anything at Supercross. You also had it the UFC between every fight they just started uh singing fuck joe biden or let's yeah, go yeah, and, yeah. I, let's and go then Brandon. and yeah. we had this old lady just sitting next to us just screaming it and i started i was like to my girlfriend i'm like i want to get in on this this is awesome <laughs> but inside like that those sports do have that just that casual fan that probably knows not much about it but they're just going to see a fight whereas i yeah. feel like we get for supercross the people that come just want to see crashes or just some yep like racing or whatever like that so we do have those fans and when you like you said we have stadiums that are like 35 to fifty thousand people and to be able to for me i'm thinking for next year like there should be some way say if at each race we have thirty thousand people 10 of them are walking through the pits like 10,000 people would be walking through the pits I was thinking this good idea would be and I'm I'm not trying to pimp out my girlfriend but to have (laughs) have an A-frame set up at my pit tent with a QR code to an OnlyFans and then I don't know if Fald would allow that or whatever but you wouldn't be selling anything at the race but you could make an OnlyFans and and fund the racing that way but she's not quite on board with it yet I bet you could get a fucking deal with OnlyFans, eh? And like, do you do like have them on your bike? Because I know Logan's got something, Kanye's got something with OnlyFans, but OnlyFans has started sponsoring so many people that aren't like doing fucking porn on there. I mean, if you got a if you got a hope, go for gold. But <laughs> oh but no, like- so that's the problem. Say like same <laughs> with what? Like, yeah, if I if I was packing. Fucking, I would definitely, <laughs> definitely be doing some content, but that's the problem when when you're not. It's kind of like you don't want to be going around the motorcycle and just going, "Look at that guy over there." He's yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then your hip would be popping out every time. Yeah, it just wait, I just got a cramp in the hip. Just great content. <laughs> oh, that's so fucking funny, dude. Before I forget, when we were talking about like crashes and dudes getting up. There was one day that I was at the Stewart compound and fucking James threw his what his RMZ 450, like a 400-meter cartwheel <laughs> <laughs> and just got up and walked off. Really? Oh, bro. I thought the dude was dead. Like, I was like, oh, I just saw James Stewart die. And then he just gets up and walks off. Like, it's pretty... Uh, it's amazing. Unbelievable, Sometimes man. what the body can go through and you can be okay and then you'll have like a little like look at tomac on the weekend just completely do anything fucked wrong. his life with and he didn't do anything <laughs> wrong so yeah. but whereas you where even when you're younger like i'm sure growing up like you have a crash and when you're younger and you're just like holy shit if you add up how many crashes you had from 65s to 85s there were absolutely monumental crashes and you just get up and you're fine. Just and nothing. you do that as an adult and you don't usually get away with it too good. Mate, I ha- I've had three crashes. My, I had this crash at the... 
I had a crash at Cape York and I actually can't. We went out of the bars and fucked my wrist. It's still pretty cooked. But I was like, all good. Hit my head. Got up, kept riding because we're in the middle of the bush. Like, I think I had 80Ks to go until the camp. Got going again. Then I was like, mate, this is sick. Like, this is, I'm having so much fun riding. The conditions were amazing. And I was out in front of our group for a bit and no dust. No, no, just good as it gets. And I fucking hit this tree <laughs> so hard, dude. I hit a, like, I hit a, there's all these, the four wheel drivers, they come and they like cut off the trees, tree stumps just below like the engine of the car yeah. so they can keep, but you can't fucking see them on a moto when you're doing 80 Ks an hour. So I've hit one of them and then just hit this fucking tree, bro. Just like bang on. And I, I ended up, I tore my knee a bit. But it was the biggest crash. And I got up from it and I was like, bro, you should be dead. <laughs> like, you fucked your knee, but you should actually be dead. There's a video. I had a Red Bull tin in my in my camelback and the, I landed. I went over the bars, squashed a Red Bull tin. Like, it was like flat like a pant. Didn't pop. And uh, so I had that one. And then I've had two crashes since I've been in Dubai that were just like, this sand track is 6Ks long. And it's like fourth, fifth gear wide open. The entire just sand whoops. The it's like think fit in a six k circle basically. Yeah. And I've had two just fucking huge runs over the bars. I think the second time I got a concussion. But yeah, I'm just like, mate, you cannot do that. Like, no, yeah. None of like this, what, this is will not, bite you in this the is ass. Not okay to be doing this. Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so funny like that. Yeah, you like you have those things that you get away with and then if you keep doing that you're not going to get away yeah. with it but have you, you done things conversation nah i was supposed to do it last year yeah i've always want i've been to it in when i was hurt uh in 2019 i went and just spectated because my mate was doing it and it was pretty cool i, I would want to do it like i did hatta back in i did it in 08 in 2000 i did it in 08 as a junior and then 2010 as a senior um just on the 250 and that was cool, but Fink is kind of like its own sort of thing. Like you just go yeah. straight down, and I don't know if I my lower back could take it now with the just the whoops of that long. But it would be still it's one of those events that I just want to tick off one tick day. Off the, yeah, yeah. But yeah, in well, saying this, that, the competition side of my like I would still want to go there and just fucking send it. But oh. the consequences of that, you don't want to crash at that speed. Nah, fuck no. Dude, I've been, I've been trying because I'm going to do World Vets over there at the end of the year. And, um, and I've been training, doing like proper motos. As I, I went out the other day, did 320s. Like my hands are all fucked. Like I've actually been trying. And I got off the bike the other day. I don't know why, but since I, like, since I got back from Europe, I just, I've been a bit cooked. But, um, I got off the bike after the last moto and like my legs, like the my hamstrings and lower back was smoked, bro. And I was like, I don't know what Fink would be like. No, just standing in that position of like, I guess you're just standing position, bent over, just yeah, yeah. It just blows out. If you've ever tried to do sand whoops for so, that long, you just your back's blown. Like when you building up for a sand race, because like, I haven't got to ride in the sand for years now, but I grew up two minutes from rosebud track yeah rosebud yeah which is gnarly yeah so before like want to ruin all that each year 
for the nationals we just train and train and train and it, you do get good in the sand but it takes like a few weeks to build up that stamina of like the lower back when you first start riding sand your lower back just blows out oh. so quick well dude i'm actually i'm going back home on friday and uh man i'm actually really excited this sounds so lame <laughs> i'm so excited to just go to qmp and, and ride like a easy normal motocross track yeah and just see the difference that it has made spending four months riding this fucking torture chamber of a track what do you what bike are you got in dubai i bought a gas gas 450 oh okay yeah 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 so which has actually been because obviously 350 gang but i've actually really enjoyed riding the 450 and i'm like i actually dude so how's this i took 30 seconds off my lap time last last weekend when i rode because like i sort of haven't been trying to ride fast i've just been trying to go and go like all right i'm gonna do 320s or i'm gonna do 220s or like i haven't actually just been trying to send it yeah and um and then the other day I, I knew I was not going to go do motos because I'd just been working and like I was just fucked. So I was like, all right, today I won't do motos. I'll just try and actually go fast. So I pulled in behind one of the fast guys and like went went with him. And like all I did different was just hold the 450 wide open in a straight line. <laughs> and I took 40 seconds off my lap because like normally I'm like, you know, three quarter throttle. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. All right, that's fast e- enough. E- <laughs> yeah. And then the then on saturday i was just like and then backed it off and like actually couldn't believe how much so is it that wide open over there like yeah you've got long because i remember like saying that you're just like getting on the limiter in a straight line when i did hadar in 2010 like my very similar to hadar my like my dad is sort of he doesn't know that much and i was still only 18 18 at the time so we geared the bike but it wasn't geared nowhere near enough, enough. Yeah, yeah so for four out for like four and a half hours i just sat basically on the limiter just just <laughs> in top gear just blah, 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 blah. dude when we i got home i dropped the the sump out of it and it literally just went drip drip and that there was no oil i don't know how i still don't know how the bike finished but yeah it was never the same after that it was just like there was something wrong with that bike obviously it'd been wrong about oil but that was i felt so bad just thinking just sitting on the limiter for like four hours and it's still survived it was just stand honda but it still survived well dude so that because i wear my garmin for the like my watch yeah so like my top speed on this track when i just do like a normal moto is like 101 k's yeah yeah and then the average speed is like 70 k's or six, oh, 60 yeah, yeah. 68 k's so yeah there's like there's one section where you come in and it's like a bit slower but it's like kind of like these big u-turns but you're still third gear on the 450 yeah. in the i'm turns. sure once and you then, get on qmp you're gonna feel so weird having to brake and then your top speed is gonna be so slow there's only two corners i use the brakes on this whole track like oh. <laughs> literally you just and because the sand it's like it's dry sand so it's not like um you sort of don't have that much like feeling or grip it's just completely like so it's just a sand dune basically and uh so like you the bike slows down so much every time you back off the throttle that you're just rolling kind of through turns and as soon as you do hit the brakes like you're so yeah 
over the front, you know. As soon as the weight but, goes in the front, you get the little bit yeah. of it. Especially when you go on that speed in sand, do you get, do you get the bike wobble where it sort of wobbles oh, down the straightaway? Yeah. yeah it's, it's so scary. Like sickening feeling when the, like you're sitting on like over 100 and it just starts to slow. Because the sand moves, so you just do the weave down. Yeah, yeah. I remember doing that at Hatter. There's this, there's one section down the back straight and that's where you do a hundred bait. Like you could go faster, but there's two drop-offs in it. So it's probably like three or four feet drops. But imagine going a hundred Ks now <laughs> in dry sand and then doing a, a fucking drop-off. Like when you do the drop-off, you're going so fast, your helmet peak, <laughs> like the, the wind comes and like lifts your head. And then you've got these two drops and then you go up and there's just this massive sand dune that you downshift, I, I go to third, and then you just like launch up off this sand dune and then you land and then you go into fourth and then you turn left and then there's just another massive straight with like these three huge tabletops in it. And then you go like right and then another massive straight. So the thing's just wedged, dude, the entire time. Like, But it's actually been, I, I'm, I'm going to miss riding there. It's actually been... and because I was so shit at the start. Like, I think I would have probably been doing, like, seven-minute lap times, I reckon, and now or over seven-minute lap times, and now I'm down to, like, just over six minutes. Right, so you're not staying in Dubai? Nah, I'll go back home for, uh, back to Oz for, like, a, a month or whatever, and then and then come back. Yeah, and you're you're in Queensland, aren't you? Like, yeah, Or QMP, yeah. yeah. Did you yeah. ever ride at Aunt Reedy Creek? Nah, man. So that was kind of like before my time, eh? So like, I I was obs- I was actually only just telling this story the other day. It's funny when you said like you didn't get super American Supercross until like oh two. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't get it until oh four. Oh four bar to bar was the first like DVD that I ever got. That was until then it was only Krusty's. So like really? Krusty Demons, yeah. And then we got some Nitro Circus. And, uh, but yeah, 04 bar to bar. So that was like my first time, like properly getting to follow like a whole series. Like I knew all the other riders and shit, but I never got to like actually follow yeah. the, the races. But I was the kid that all my mates in school had bikes and I used to bum bikes off my mates. Like I would just be friends with kids just cause they had fucking motos. Like for whatever reason, I just loved it so much. And it wasn't until I was like 15 like, I had to get a job and buy my own bike. Like, we just couldn't really afford one. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and yeah, by the, so by the time I actually got my own bike, I think I was, yeah, 14 or, or 15. And so our first bike, Dad bought me and Maddie a TTR125L. <laughs> <laughs> and we had to share it. So I was senior lights racing a TTR125 <laughs> at the Cairns Club Day with like fucking Todd Waters was racing, fucking Jats was racing, Wade, Mitch Evans, like all those dudes. And I was on a fucking TTR125. They were probably looking at you thinking, who's this? Douchebag. Oh, I was the biggest fucking goon of all time, bro. And then I bought. Uh, I bought, I saved up and I bought a 01 CR125 and bro, that bike scared the fuck out of me. Eh? Like, it used to Those get, old Hondas are just a light switch. They're either on or they just not like oh, off. 
But dude, it had um, it had wood in for bar ends, like a broomstick. Dad fucking hit a broomstick the wood in the in the bar ends. Dude, and it, it was like, does your dad come from bikes or no? Obviously not. Like, nah, he yeah, did he, yeah, he did. Yeah, he. Oh, he okay. raced, Like he raced back in the day with like um, like Jeff Lee, Peter Melton, like all oh, that shit. Oh shit! Yeah, dad was like, dude, there's that's why I run forty five. Because we've got this photo of Dad racing a Supercross at Lang Park in Brisbane with 45 on his bike. So he was like, fuck it, good. We just couldn't afford bikes when we were younger. Like, it wasn't <sighs> until wasn't until I got a job that I was able to buy my own bike and my dad got us that, that TTR. But yeah, we just fucking... We played footy, did like BMX. We did fucking athletics. Like, we did everything but moto. But me and Maddie were fully obsessed with moto see it's it's so funny because like my dad didn't like we didn't come from bikes so they just saw they were driving home one day and saw a qr50 on the side of the road and bought it and then that's how we got into bikes but that's crazy he, he knew nothing so like i it got to a point where i was about when i turned senior and it was about 16 I started to realize that my dad didn't know what he was doing with motorbikes. (laughs) And then that's when I started like, okay, I'm going to start doing the maintenance on these things. (laughs) Like I remember at a club day in, oh, it would have been like 04 or something like that. And I was on an 85 and a whole shot and I got all the way out the back of the track and the bike just went ball and stopped. And then it started and then I got all the way to the like, to the where run was at the front of the track and it stopped again and dad comes out and takes the seat off and takes the plastic bag off the air filter and i'm just like <laughs> oh my god fucking like he just this didn't is on me now. yeah yeah so it's so funny because because we don't come from bikes it's not like i had dad sort of pushing hard pushing and you he, to do it yeah he was just kind of like we'll do like if you want to keep doing it i'm going to support you and i think a lot of the time it was mum behind the scenes making him pay to keep racing because dad was probably like, oh, this is a bit ridiculous. But because I enjoyed it so much, mum was sort of the driving force of making us continue doing it. Because when you really think about how much money through amateurs or juniors that it adds up to be over the years, it's astronomical of yeah, if you think, wild, eh? oh, dude, and that's just been at a little Australian level where I all like I, I was still going to school I still finished school obviously dad like sort of just had a normal job whereas over here it's just there's professional kids at 12 yeah and and that's what you have to be now unless you're some type of freak you have yeah. to be that in that training facility or they're basically just businesses now the kids yeah. are the ones that are sort of they're making money and and doing all that whereas coming from australia and that there were it's not like that at all and i think people don't understand like you'll have a good junior in australia and they're like yeah, yeah we'll keep working and making it. and that's like no you have to understand that you need to be doing this like yeah because there's people in the world that are full-time trainers doing yeah. it like this and those are the ones that are making it to like anyone can be sort of like me and make it to supercross and race but to be that factory next level it's a different world it's a, you're in a different yeah different yeah. game eh? well for for us like i actually i i think the reason why i don't even think i've ever told this story on the podcast but 
we were so like dad was keen for me to ride so like we when we grew up dad was like he was riding cape york and he had like xr600s and so like he stopped racing but he was always riding and like always had bikes and then so it was like oh yeah we'll 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 ride and the kids can ride or whatever then i actually fucking had this massive crash on a 50 we were just at like a grass field kind of like a meetup it wasn't a race or anything a dude opened a car door as i like he like parked right next to the track and like opened up a car door as i come past and i like yeah like because it was just we were riding in like a field you know and so i've like come around this corner i'm like five years old barely could fucking ride the old mate just like swings his door open and i've like t-boned this car basically and i um i can't believe i've never even fucking told this story on here but i um i perforated my bowel oh so like the handlebars went through my through my fucking guts and uh and i perforated my bowel and uh so anyway like it obviously was a fucking huge problem they like took me to hospital and um and yeah i ended up having like emergency surgery like i still got this huge scar all down my guts yeah i almost fucking died and um yeah so they had to like remove a bunch of my intestines and shit and then so that was it like moto was clipped forever for that so mum like dad pretty much like he he had he had this massive accident. He actually hit a cow up in Cape York. There was like a cow just got out of a fence. So he was fucking wedged on a 650 and smoked this cow, broke his elbow, like fucked oh. himself up. And uh, so then that was it. Mum was like, it's over. Bikes in this house are fully done. done. But like, it was over for me. Like I was already hooked, you know? Yeah. And like, so then for literally, dude, for the rest of my life, until I was 14, I got a job and I could buy my own bike. That was all I all I wanted to do was bikes. And it's funny, like, I think about it now. Like, I wonder... I don't reckon I ever would have been good enough to race. Like, Maddie was real good. But I wonder if, like, just that, being so obsessed with it and never being able to do it, that's the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing now. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Like, because the passion stayed so fucking strong. Like, I remember when um like a few weeks ago jose from alpine stars he sent me he sent me like the the sexton gear like when that um when that michael jordan shit came out i just had a package rock up and i had like the boots both sets of gear like my name went like full from like the package came from italy and i just texted him i was like bro if you had any idea the kid that i was <laughs> like i read every single like racer x magazine every single trans world ev- like never didn't even own a fucking bike like yeah. i was a full-on freak for it eh? that it, it's funny like that like for me it was just everything from well, as long as i remember it just was re- like revolved around bikes like the even with the school stuff i would just sit in class and just yeah. draw up supercross tracks that's yeah. what I do. <laughs> yeah. I remember. I remember my. We were sitting at a, a table. I'm meant to be doing homework or whatever, and I'm sitting there. And uh, Dad was yelling at me, and my sister came up and was like, "What are you yelling for? He's doing the work." And then Dad pulls out the piece of paper. And he's like, "He's not fucking doing the work. He's bloody designing the supercross track." But I just, I hated school. Like, yeah. just absolutely with everything in me. Just the last year was just so pointless in being there. But my parents 
Matt, like yeah, they were like you need it. Yeah, but see, for me, I'm kind of still like, well, what? I didn't need to. Like, I'm sure maybe when I have to get a real life out in the next few years, that it may come. But I'm still kind of thinking, well, I I didn't need to do school. Like in the last year, my mum was doing the majority of the work, and yeah, you were I just had trying to get it done. Yeah, I had no. I was in the accelerated class, and I. I had skipped the year. I went from year nine to 11 so that I could sort of just finish early. And in the end, like, I remember my mum, like, we would have, you know, like with English, because English was mandatory, you had to, you'd get like an essay topic uh, that would give you and then you had to send send you home and get it, like, write up an essay. In the end, mum was just doing that for me. And she would hand it to me and goes, make sure you read this. And then I just wouldn't, I'd hand it in. And my mum was that fucking good at English that the the S, one of the times I remember the essay that uh, like I handed it in, it was so good that there was four year 12 classes in the school and we all had to break down and study my English essay because it was that good. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I guess I'll be breaking down this English essay with everyone else. Dude, there was words in it that I didn't even know what they meant. But it was like all that type of stuff. Like in the end, I was just like, well, what's, why are we doing this? I, I'm just going to be a writer. And it must have been so tough for my parents because I wasn't like a superstar writer. But in yeah. my head, I'm like, well, fuck, why wouldn't I do that? But yeah it just got to the point with the school stuff like i remember um i was in i had to take geography and each month you'd have to do like a powerpoint presentation and mum would do the powerpoint presentation and give me the usb and say make sure you look over this and i would be presenting it to the class and looking at it the first time that she was like as everyone else in the class i'm trying and i just i honestly hated school in the end i was just i would still we had like a coin jar at home and I would steal gold coins out. I was paying a dude at school 15 bucks a week to just copy his homework and stuff for maths because I like I just hated it and I just always thought, I'm just going to ride. Like what what else? And then it, once I had finished school, it was tough because like, I obviously wasn't a good enough rider to be on a team or anything like that. So mum and dad were like, well, you need to go get a job. And yeah. there was no way that I was going to, work for dad I, I worked for him a little bit here and there uh at that time but like I just didn't think that like it just didn't interest me because he's a builder and that so I ended up working at um Ureves just scrubbing oh, didn't yeah. even get paid I just was scrubbing floors and and like cleaning the truck for the sort of own not no from 2010 to about and 2011 I just worked for Ureves and it was like probably a couple of days a week, but then they would sort of call me and I'd do more than because yeah. I'd need me. And do you ever, do you remember, like, have you ever met like Brad McAlpine who's at CDR now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I would, I worked for him when he was the manager. No shit. And he was What so, year was this? 2009. Oh, no, no, 2010 and 11. Okay. So yeah, like I, I would just work there and then Brad was always good. Like he would hand me at the end of the He's day. He's such like, a good dude. A set of He's grips or something. Dude. So, but mum and dad were just like, you can't just not work. You've got to work. So I just ended up working for free for um, Konski. And then that sort of snowballed the relationship with Konski and sort of know like mates with him now. But it's just funny how, like, I would have never at that stage thought I'd 
get to be able to get to America. It just took so long to get here. I had to be like an adult and be able to save up and and do yeah. all that. And obviously, I've had the support of my parents the whole way through because there was no possible way. But I like my parents were really good with we're going to support you with whatever you do. But to be able to get over here and race, it was like, well, that's not something that's like for me to be able to get here. I had to save up the money to be able yeah. to spend it to set myself up. Like obviously, my dad's still helping me now, but that initial setup, I don't think people realize how much it actually costs to like you come over here and you've got nothing like you don't have the van you don't have like a ramp to even put your bike in the van all that stuff so that initial setup and i think mal ross sort of was talking about it coming over this year he's sort of set up now so that he can come back next year and actually give it a crack yeah yeah. because it is so like it is a lot of money to when you initially come over and like the living oh, situation, yeah. yeah, it's just you've got to find somewhere to live and all that stuff. And it, everything costs money. Whereas when you're back home, you've sort of got the support of parents. You can always sort of go back and live there and sort of stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, you got that. like whereas, a safety net. Yeah, whereas when you're just over here by yourself, you're like, well, shit, fucking got to figure this out somehow. It's so cool that you just had that desire to race in America for so long and you just did, you just made it, made it happen. Well, the thing, like, like I said, like earlier, like the, the whole, like I know COVID was horrible for everyone and that, but for me it was like the best thing because I, I was, I had gotten hurt in the end of twenty eighteen. I, I in twenty in the end of twenty seventeen, I had to have this like my right shoulder reconstructed, and then it, I came back and it took forever. Like I don't know if there was nerve a problem or something, and it it took forever. So I. I missed even the start of Supercross in 2018 in Australia and I ended up coming back for one event and I broke my left shoulder really badly. So I was at that point just, I'm just done. I can't do it anymore. I'm just too hurt and all that. So while I was kind of like de- like depressor on that, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to get some tattoos. So I always had wanted this one dude in America to do the tattoos. So I just called up one day and just called up the studio that he was working at and uh like booked appointments and I was still I was just in Australia I'm like well I'll book these appointments and at the time I think it was nine months out because he was like quite a popular like tattooist and it kind of just I had started writing just before then but it it made me sort of come over here because I had to sort of have an excuse to come to America because I had the van sitting here for a couple years and and I had a little bit of stuff over here so the tattoos was almost just an excuse to come over and I, I had bought a bike off a friend cheap and started riding over here and then like and I did all the tattoo appointments or whatever got all that done but it was more just like an excuse to come over and ride again over here because I thought at that point the racing was done because I'd been hurt for so long and then I sort of realized like shit I can probably do this I got my girlfriend at the time and then I, I sort of had that excuse to come back after Supercross in 2019 and then it sort of just snowballed like I wasn't ready in 2020 to race Supercross but then the COVID stuff hit and it actually gave me time to buy a race bike off Eureve that they were selling and then set up for those COVID races that were at the end of the year in Salt Lake so oh yeah yeah then that snowballed to like my visa was expiring and with COVID in Australia the consulate was shut so, so I got, yeah, you just got stuck almost. I couldn't, 
leave America because then I would have been screwed and wouldn't be able to get back because I couldn't do my visa interview in Australia. So I got an extension and just stayed for 2021 and then 2022. So I've just got to build up this like program and then meet people and sort of be able to race here. But that was never really the plan. Like I always wanted to do that, but just the way it's happened that it's like worked out so perfectly to be able to stay here and race. Whereas I think if COVID and that hadn't happened, I would have tried to race and then come back and race the Supercross in Australia. And then you sort of get stuck there with that because you can't organize racing in two places. And so for me, the COVID stuff just sort of set myself up here and sort of getting stuck. And and also I didn't want to go home because I didn't want to get stuck in hotel quarantine and all that sort of stuff, which would have been horrible. Yeah, it's like... uh it was the one thing that I struggled with when I was there is because I was there for like I mean there was periods of time where I had like a visa for a long time but there was also those periods where I didn't and you'd have to go home and back and forth and like you just kind of can't get anything going when you when you're not in the one place for the one time and that and then like it's funny on the flip side for me COVID was when the podcast really started to pop off because couldn't go anywhere like i literally just sat in the studio for two years and made shit happen but it makes so much sense that that was probably the thing that really helped you the most well yeah because like even the like you would understand with the visa and that to come home when i popped my shoulder out at parlor last year i that was the excuse to well i can't ride for a bit i'll come home and sort my visa out finally and that that whole process still took four months so or three and a half months or whatever it was so for me like being from not america like the whole there's that whole other side of it that makes it really hard as well like each time you do a visa it's like four grand or or whatever you have to pay and then that whole process takes time and like that if you don't have i often wonder how the lawrence brothers i'm sure with the backing they've got and stuff like that they've got the visas and all that but it's it is quite tough to have to organize everything on that side of it as well as the racing side of it to come over here yeah yeah no it's fucking gnarly to go through how did you get hooked up with seven well so at the time i was so in i'll go back like the in 20 16 i didn't have a sponsor and and my friend over he had a a bit of a contact with fxr and they were the only ones that would pay me bonuses for australian supercross so i wore fxr and then when i came over here i was kind of in that limbo of well i had support from fxr in australia but i didn't really have fxr support here and uh I, i wasn't really getting that much gear and it was coming into the uh, the next season and um, I was meant to wear FXR again and I kind of was like oh this is, like I like I don't feel like I'm very wanted <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I I just I went into seven and I was like fuck it I want to wear seven like it's the coolest bloody gear out there and um, I went into Roger's office and he basically said that we just had a shipping container fall off like the ship we can't help you and i was like well fuck i don't care i'm just i'm gonna wear seven one way or another and then it worked out he actually did help me and that first year we didn't really get that much gear so coming into last year we got like that's the best part of racing like we show up 
at each event and they give us two new sets of gear and the fact that it's seven is like the coolest fucking gear ever to me because it's james and all that stuff but that's how i just sort of forced him almost to help me and the, <laughs> the smart the smart thing with it is and i've done this with a couple of companies is if you look at me like i busted out this brand new t-shirt today i found i don't really i'm not someone if you looked at me i'm not like i don't really give too much of a fuck about the look and that <laughs> see from the outside in i don't look like i've got my shit together or anything like that but i'll just take my missus to meet people and she's like a hot little five foot thing i get her to put a bra on and push her tits up and it kind of, it makes me look like not such a loser and people want to like people want to dude i'm sitting here in jet pilot shorts that they gave me in 2016 like but she like it makes it look like i'm not such a fucking loser so if anyone's out there if you go into a meeting with someone bring your missus get her to dollar stuff up and it will make not saying those guys are creepy or anything like that but it just makes me look like i'm not such a fucking darrow oh that is the fucking best dude that i've legitimately so had a sponsor say in an email i like i want to help you you're a hard working guy you seem to be doing it like by yourself and you heart and you've got a hot missus that was legitimately <laughs> in the email from so <laughs> oh that's so fucking good i love that dude so, I, uh, I i've had some fucking fun times with roger i haven't spoke to him i actually wonder if he just doesn't like me anymore but <laughs> uh i've had some fucking fun times with that dude eh? really because so he was an answer yeah before seven and when he was an answer jdr was an answer and like back in the day, Roger used to be at every after party, every pre-party, every like he he was a social guy. Like and every that's what I think made him such a, a cool dude because he knew literally everybody. He wasn't like a dude that would go out, send it, get fucked up. But he was just always there and he knew everyone. If you needed to know anyone, Roger knew everybody. And so when I went there, I was like the only person from the team that would party. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> everyone else was all serious and fucking racing. I was just the film guy. So I was like, man, I can film fucking blind. So I used to go out every single night, like every Thursday night, every Friday night, every Saturday night. And uh, me and him just got to be awesome mates. Eh? And uh, dude, there was one, there was one time at, and I was a fuck up like when I was there I was so useless and uh there was one time where I went out and I was with Roger the night before it used to be Phoenix Supercross used to fall on Donnie Emler's birthday every year from FMF and Lil D's a legend as well and uh so the Phoenix after party would always be Lil D's birthday party and I went out and I was out till all hours and I literally was like out the front of, we we're out the front, like the party was done and they were like, it was like me and Roger and I literally picked up a chick who was getting in a cab and I was like, I'll come back to yours. I got nowhere to stay. And she was like, okay, <laughs> literally that's how I picked up this chick for the night. And, uh, and then so anyway i've like slept in i woke up in the morning had no idea where i was like just fucking nothing didn't have any of my shit and then i uh i ended up 
getting up missed the all the jdr crew had left and drove back to california because i was just like nowhere to be seen and uh so i called roger and i was like bro i need a lift like are you still here and it was the year that kevin windham knocked himself out yeah at, uh at phoenix so he couldn't fly and i think he was like in hospital yeah he must have been in hospital or something because i think we went and picked him up from hospital so like it was literally my first year in america and i'd been blind at this after party went home with this chick and then roger picked me up in the morning and then picked up kevin windham and we, we drove we drove back to to california and it was like football finals were on that time and so k-dub was like well we're stopping at morongo casino and we're gonna watch the like i can't the saints play i'd never even watched a game of football in my life so i was like 21 or 22 and just had like the best night ever in phoenix and then the very next day was with roger and kevin windham watching a game of football but imagine like, explaining dude, that, that just like kevin windham yeah i just went, went went drove home with kevin partied at a fucking casino like you wouldn't think like when whenever i go to seven like and especially the first few times that i went because when i first sort of went there i didn't know if i would speak to roger or whoever was there and now when i go I, I'll sit in his office and we just bench race or talk shit for like an hour. And I often think, does this dude like want me to leave? Or because I'll, I'll just keep sitting, like, I'm sitting around this James's freaking gear and the Nike boots yeah, and all. Yeah. And I'm like, who would have thought I'm sitting in? Because you always come from Australia, you knew who Roger was because he was the dude running shit. And yeah, then it's, yeah. it's quite funny now. I'm kind of, I try not to overstay my welcome when I'm there because. I could just shit, sit there and like talk, talk shit, shit the whole time because he yeah. will sit there and talk shit with you. But I'm yeah. kind of like, surely he's got like a lot of shit to do. He don't need to be sitting next, like sitting down, having to deal with talking to me. But it is having Seven as the gear sponsor is it's been one of the coolest things for me as like coming from back home and to me like Seven is the gear company that's like I always sort of had want to be in and now yeah. to be able to go to the races and get gear at each race and all that stuff it's it's so bloody cool yeah and it makes a massive difference I reckon when you're a privateer to have good looking gear and it's like there's companies that you can go with that like the gear just doesn't look as good and then you just look like a random kind of joe but you always look good even if you're in 17th like you've got cool gear cool helmet cool that's boots. like with the boots like I, cool. yeah i'll i'll buy the alpine star boots because i feel like they look the coolest and they're also the probably the best protection or whatever but i've always at like over here dude that's one of the biggest expenses of the is the boots because how many the, do you go through a year oh this year i bought a set i actually bought a set in australia of sj sj has always been like pretty cool to me and he i bought a set through him and that was probably from October and I did the off season in those that pair and I so I've had three sets this year that I'm sort of I've got a red set that I'm about to sell because I just put them on um MX Locker so yeah uh that's where I'll just sell them and I, I try and if I have like three sets for the year I'll try and sell two and then be able to buy one set and then I sort of fork out the money for another set but yeah, yeah. yeah, that is one thing that I think, like, and I'm what not complaining. Pardon? I'm a size what seven. Size oh, okay. I was going to say, I'll give you some of mine, but I'm a 10, so they won't fit. 
Oh, dude, I I wear like an extra small helmet with the biggest cheek pads they have. Like, I used to wear size nine boots. I don't know what happened. My feet shrunk or something. <laughs> and dude, if they made a size six, I would wear a size six and then cut the toes out of the booty. Because like, yeah, I've all I don't know, just always size seven in the boots. And and like, I wear uh, youth large gloves like all that sort of stuff so, so you just like, like shit small and tight yeah like the gloves i'll just i have to i stretch them on and the gloves changed this year so i had to get a little bit used to them but yeah i'll just stretch them on and, and wear them and then i never put them in the dryer because i just yeah. like everything really small and tight but it's funny looking back at the earlier races in like the early 2000s to now the gear is so baggy back in the like you think of Carmichael yeah. and the Fox stuff in like 03 it's so yeah, baggy yeah. and that whereas here now it's all tight like you what look at the um TLD stuff and fucking you can see like the imprint of bloody like riders cock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that moto means thing yeah fucking you can see yeah whereas back in the day imagine if he showed up in the early 2000s wearing that with his cock canyon <laughs> yeah it just booed out of the stadium <laughs> dude it's so good yeah it's funny uh it's funny you mentioned tech tens like that's a hundred percent what i like i love those boots and i i posted that reaction video to tomac's crash and people were like oh well guess i'm never getting a pair of tech tens and it's like do you realize that people bust their achilles fucking jogging yeah it's yeah it's so funny when <laughs> that stuff not happens the boot, bro. Or, or or whenever um like there'll be someone will get knocked out and that people will come no wearing that wearing, yeah it's like <laughs> you go hop in a car and hit a fucking concrete wall at 50 miles an hour you're gonna get knocked out like that's basically what you're doing on a dirt bike sometimes like yeah but people just expect oh i'm never wearing that helmet so oh dude i could not believe that i'm like Eli Tomac's Tech 10s are not the reason that his Achilles busted. Like, yeah, they're like, oh, those, I see in comments, all oh, those purple Alpine stars, I won't be buying them. Like, they're different than the other fucking Alpine <laughs> stars. Like, oh, all that stuff, like, the that's one thing that I don't mind spending, like, the boots and, like, I wear the RI helmet. And even when I was on um the Wilson Sonda team, we were meant to wear another brand. And we were out at the track in 15 on easter and some like a rider died and after that i was just kind of like i'm wearing a helmet that fits me really yeah. well and that i've been in ri ever since and i was just buying them back in australia and then coming over here i contacted the dude after the first season and i've been getting a couple of ris each season so that's like another thing that i always wanted to be in ris and because yeah. they fit so well and i remember Wyndham wearing them back in the day when he was on like Suzuki and all that to, so to be wearing Arai that's one of the cool things for me as well with the 7 gear yeah I um I did uh, like I was an ambassador for Ducati at home for a couple of years and um on one of the bikes they gave me for the year they gave me an Arai helmet to wear with it and fuck it was good dude it's got like all this special Ducati shit all over it so like I don't I don't wear it like you'd look yeah, like yeah. a you'd look like a kook wearing it on anything other than that bike and i also i kind of want to save it yeah but uh man i was actually blown away considering that helmet hasn't changed in like dude that's one thing that years. i often think yeah it's like oh it hasn't changed but it's made in japan and it's so yeah good. 
Yeah, and they just I have that problem of I've got a small head, so nothing really fits me that well. So I just get the extra small RI and then put the bigger cheek pads in it and that seems like it's and not changing a helmet it's just i've had the same helmet now for years and it's just that's comfortable to me whereas when you're yeah. wearing different stuff like it 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 doesn't take it only takes a day or two to get used to but that's just one thing that's been consistent for me is just i've always been an ri for the last sort of since yeah. 2015 so yeah man the good boots and good helmet like that's really all i care about i don't wear knee braces i don't wear any of that shit but it's like yeah I will wear Tech Tens and I'll wear a good helmet. I've actually been running the Alpine Stars helmet lately. Oh, have you? Yeah, yeah. I like it, eh? Do you not I wear think... knee braces? Nah. Oh, wow. Did you ever wear them? Yeah, dude. I used to wear them flat out. It was funny. After the Rhino podcast, <laughs> I stopped wearing them. Yeah. And then I could never see myself going back to them. Really? See, I don't... I can't see... Like, I obviously have never tried, but I can't see myself ever not... Like, you know, when you're gripping the bike and, the, like, do your knees get sore? Do you have knee cups or? I got, I wear, um, I got a pair of Liat uh, knee pads. Yeah. But I, I've, <laughs> when I moved to Dubai, I packed one. Oh. <laughs> and, the, and they don't sell them here. So I just bought, I just bought, like, these shitty, like, little Oakley. Well, they're not they're not shitty, but they're, like, for mountain biking. They're just, like, sleeves for your knee. Um, so, they're definitely not as good for moto as the layout ones. I'm actually excited to get back. But I think um, with the way that I ride now, I grip mostly with my boots. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, my... Because I'm... Do you ride real far back? Well, because I wear, like, a three-size bigger boot. And because I'm like on the on the toes, or like I wear a ten, you wear a seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like when I'm standing on my toes, and then my foot pegs are like back and down, so I've got five mil back, five mil down. So I'm like way off the fucking back of the bike. So like, I reckon it hurts your knees if you're trying to grip like directly above the like the foot pegs almost. Yeah, yeah. And because I'm so like lanky and tall, like. I squeeze on the fucking side plates and the muffler pretty much. So I'm like so far back. So it's like on my boots. I don't even really feel it on my knees at all. Really? See, I actually that... feel like I can grip the bike way better without knee pads than with knee pads. Uh, than so with I, knee braces. Yeah. I'm just like stuck in my ways. Like I get with something and then I'm still running my uh, pods that I they gave me in like 2010 like the the second version of the and i just That's keep the getting ones I had. yeah keep getting them rebuilt and i'm just like i'm gonna stick with them forever as long as they keep making parts for them i'm sticking because it's just something that's in me that's like that's what i run and i don't want to change it yeah well it's like if it ain't broke don't fix it and that's like you know even i was talking to moran's because he's like oh i don't know if i want to go on the new 23 ktms and it's like there's kind of nothing wrong with bike. Like, look at the Suzuki. You know, look yeah, at what yeah. Kenny's doing on that thing. That thing hasn't changed since, like, 16. I mean, the shit that's come out of factories these days is fucking good, man. <laughs> like, yeah. you don't want to be running a carby, fair, fair enough. But, like, a fuel-injected, you know, most of the bikes, if it's fuel-injected, like a KTM. My KTM in Australia is a 2019 or 2020. Yeah, and I always say, like, this year, if Tomac had won the series, like when was the last time someone on a brand new model of bike won the championship in the first year? Like that would True, have been, eh? I feel like a big deal for Yamaha 
to have won because there's always that whether it's almost yeah, like yeah. yeah we're not we're companies they have to keep changing stuff to be able to keep selling bikes i guess but you're yeah. really not we've gotten to the point now you're really not making leaps and bounds ahead in technology no. and then the teams have to figure it out and it takes a couple of years to be able to figure it out so i thought the whole tomac thing winning was going to be like kind of a big deal and then it just goes to show you how gnarly the sport is for him to not even crash and just completely fuck himself yeah yeah well i think yeah you're right like i mean honda definitely well dude how crazy is it that honda hasn't won a championship for pretty much 20 years yeah what was it oh Oh, it literally is oh three dude 20 years since honda's won a championship that is crazy and they, they still have the most championships, don't they, or something like that? Like they're because you know Probably. Honda back and yeah. So for them to not win for twenty years is just and still have the most championships. Yeah, it's just it's kind of nuts because you went through that era of uh, Cowie oh. had Villapoto and Stewart and and then they had Tomac and it just must yep. be so frustrating for these teams to not be able to. Like it's not like they're not trying just as hard, and then it's just kind of whoever can snag the rider, the top guy. Yeah, because it just must be so hard to like. It just shows you how hard it is to win a championship. Yeah, and it's like it's the best guy that, um, yeah. There's there's like a handful of dudes that can win, and in in Supercross you just go through errors, right? Where it's like, and that that's why when i posted that video about denver there's people like oh this isn't the best supercross season in fucking because i said it was like the best supercross season in my memory and it's like the argument would be was it oh six or seven with like carmichael stewart and and chad and it's like yeah fair enough like that was pretty cool but that was expected you know like you kind of yeah those guys could start last you were gonna get yeah Whereas this year, like, dude, Tomac got a seventh trying his best. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? How gnarly is it when that animal gets seventh? Yeah, it, like, what, did they end up having, I think, five with Barsha getting a win? So... Yeah. They should have been six with AP. Yeah, oh, dude, I think, like, I don't even know the guy and that, like, I was, I felt so sorry oh, for him. bro. I think everyone, I, I showed up to the the track the next day or the monday or whatever and everyone was talking about it and it was just like heart like even all the riders were just sort of heartbroken for the dude to be able to get that close and then the fact that it, i don't know if he got injured or whatever, he hasn't been the same since and then he did get injured it's just yeah. got to be mentally i you just think he has to get one eventually yeah. he just needs to tick that off and i'm sure in his mind he's like keeps building up and building up and he's he thinks he's going to be a championship contender one day but if he doesn't, that's going to haunt him forever. Because people say, oh, I don't have any regrets and that. It's like bullshit. Fucking everyone's got some type of regret. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, that was just fucking shit luck. And who else had like a massive moment there as well? What, did, what, did AC? Oh, AC crashed there, eh? In that same, no, that same uh, section. Was well, it? sex, no. Oh, yeah, he did apparently. Yeah, AC apparently. Yeah. But even... Yeah. um. It was kind of like not the same because he didn't snag an inside uh, foot. But Sexton's crash at Indy was sort of that 
going onto a step on and just the ruts got him and he went over the bars because that was a big turning point in the season as well because he really should have capitalized then with Tomac having an off night and getting the fifth or seventh or whatever he did but that's yeah. just what made the season sort of interesting I guess the fact that Tomac had won seven races and he only had an 11 point lead yeah yeah well and Sexton won a race and got docked seven points yeah that's so. not yep that was like another thing that yeah i mean it's just so unpredictable and to have like three dudes in it with a chance to win every single weekend and then as well as that though you've got like three other guys that could spoil those dudes winning and get in between those guys winning like it was just so unpredictable and so gnarly to be a fan to just no, every single night, like you just have no idea who's going to win. I think that's what made it so. And you kind of had a, a, you know, you had a, there's three guys that are kind of like there for the championship. But to have those six dudes where you're like, man, any one of these guys could show up tonight and just wreck shop. Well, if you look at the like A1 starting line for the main event, nearly everyone in that starting line is a regional Supercross champion. Yeah, that's like 12 champs or something. It's, that is unbelievable. When you really think about what it takes to get to the 450 class and yep. be a factory a dude, champ. you have yeah. to be basically a champion. So, Or yeah. have like something, be like McElrath who has 10 Supercross wins or something ridiculous like that. Or AC wasn't a uh, Supercross champ, but he had nearly the most wins or something, I'm pretty sure. So it's, it's gnarly. That's what makes the sport getting to that 450 class and being a factory rider so gnarly and um, can i take a piss before i i'll t- tell you that cool story from the offseason yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah 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 i'll go yeah. take a piss sweet gotcha there mate how long have we been going for oh like two and a half hours oh shit time yeah. flies when yeah. you're having fun oh yeah um fuck. you know what else was gnarly too was detroit the main between Kenny and Barsha. Detroit. Like when, when Kenny won, did he that win? That was Indy, Indy, Indy. Indy, sorry. Yeah. That had to be one of the sickest 20 lap races of all time, right? Like main event, who is going to win this race? Everyone wanted Kenny to win it so much and everyone wanted Barsha to win it just as much. Like, it's cool that, that he got the win. Hectic. Yeah. It's cool that so Barsha got the got win the at win. New Jersey because yeah, it kind yeah. of made up because you sort of felt and like... it was him and Roxon. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was kind of sort of thinking, well, shit, Barsha might not get one this year, even though he was riding amazing and podium like week after week. But to be able to get that win for those guys is so tough when you're going up against Tomac or a Sexton or whatever. So when Roxon... Like when he got out to the lead for Indy, I was kind of thinking, oh, he'll probably lead for 10 minutes. And then he kept going and then he kept getting caught a little bit by Barsha. And that whole main, just the fact that it was so rutty and gnarly, there was mistakes all the time and stuff like that. That's what, when I think the tracks are slower and like, because that wasn't such a technical, but the ruts made it so technical, it makes for the racing to be insane. That's, I think, what made the two strokes so good. Because people were making mistakes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, like, Kenny, when it gets like that, is as good as anyone on a night. Oh, yeah. 
and it, it, it's funny because he got such a late start on the season. In the beginning, he didn't look like he does now. But to think that when was the last time he has been this strong at the end of the year is yeah. kind of cool. Like It would have been interesting to see how he would have gone outdoors on that bike, but I guess we won't know now. But it's still sort of interesting that he's taken that bike and it isn't so much of a factory team, but they've figured it out and like to be to say that he's been on the podium for how many weeks in a row if you said that at the start of the season there was a lot of doubters with him being on that program yeah yeah there's there's people that doubted that he'd even get a podium and he's yeah, had yeah. like four four and a race win and he'll probably podium again this weekend yeah yeah i've kind of guaranteed cuz i haven't got to watch the race uh yet from the weekend but he got second and he crashed in the first turn or first lap or something he crashed twice in the first lap. Oh, wow. So, yeah, which it's kind of, I guess, is tough with the moment with everyone out, but it just goes to show you how good those top guys are. And yeah. being at elevation, it shows you how actually fit those top guys are as well. Because I, I feel like I'm fit, like a bus mask with the training and all that. And I know I'm doing a lot more other things to try and get to the races and I'm not just focused purely on just the riding. But I was fucking exhausted in that main event. <laughs> the elevation just shows you how good those and fit those top guys are because you're basically just tasting blood in your chest the entire time and you're trying to make choices because you have to because there's obstacles coming up and your body's just saying, no, I don't want to fucking lift my leg in that corner type of thing. The elevation coming from Australia where we don't have that or whatever with racing, it really blows you away how slow your bike is and how much more gnarly it is on fitness wise oh yeah dude and and to like the brain like the decisions that you've got to make and your brain just like not not working because i think that's one thing that i've noticed anytime that i've like really started riding and trying to do motos is like it's not even my physically like it's not physically that hard for me like i can get fit enough to do it but just being able to stay mentally in the game and like have the intensity. Like last night, I got depressed and I watched Millville <laughs> 450 Moto 2 from last year just to get a bit of tomac because I was so sad. Oh, wait. And like the, the fucking dude, the intensity that that dude can ride at, like just sprint speed for they sprinted for him and Sexton last year for Moto 2 sprinted i honestly sprinted don't for 35 minutes i don't know, how, minutes. I don't know like, how they ride the 450s like that the we were out at hammett before the season and um like the star guys had hired it or whatever and i i got to go out there because um i know ricky the suspension guy so i, I went out and i yeah yeah and i paid um Such a legend. star to get out on there and tomac was doing a moto and we we're watching him and he's literally riding the 450 like it's a fucking 85 and just clutch and and i'm just like how strong is this dude like how can he ride like that and those guys are doing that and then you take that outdoors and doing it for 35 minutes on a rough gnarly outdoor track the level of fitness that they have to have and it's got to be somewhat their talent to be able to perform and do those things and not use all the energy that you are because I, I still don't understand some of the times how they're so amazing on dirt bikes over here. Yeah, and just 
the intensity to like so i did that one lap the other day where i was like i'm gonna really i'm gonna put me fucking nuts and my chips all in the, in a pile here and i'm gonna like have a go i couldn't have done that for more than that lap you know what i mean like and it's not even physically it's mentally like i needed a break <laughs> like yeah, i couldn't yeah. concentrate you know and like to be at that level and to have like i actually don't understand the intensity like the way they can bring that intensity to the track like so formula one for example it's like you've got to be a machine like there's some crazy shit like uh i think it's jetta oh fuck i can't there's one street circuit but i text danny last year and i was like bro are you fucking serious like they're in, they're in this wall like tiny wall and it's night time like because the you know they got the camera that goes in the helmet and you can actually see i'm like bro that, that's not okay like what you're doing is not cool i'm like does it feel fucked and he's like oh this is one track where it feels pretty fucked so they're sending it right and it's crazy tight gnarly like what they're doing is on some shit as well but it's like the same braking markers it's the same turn in it's the gears the sa- like everything is the same like you've you've got to be like in a slot in a window locked in you can't make a mistake like that's different to just be like <laughs> like just doing what tomac and like what he does outdoors especially is just fucked like going back and watching the old races where they just like goes into beast mode and just comes through the pack and i just wonder it almost makes you think that their level is so high but it also when you take a step back he is human in some way because he can't do that (laughs) every time he can't he can't do that every time but when they do like those guys do it it's just like how the hell and i always thought like when i started mountain biking it it shows you because you're like separated from the the like a motor and all that type of stuff you i would make a mistake on a mountain bike when my heart rate's in the 180s or whatever yeah yeah. and it would be like the stupidest little mistake but your brain's trying to think of like and move and all this type of stuff but you're trying to do that while you're affected by the heart rate being so high and that's why i think sometimes you see stupid crashes on like dirt bikes at the races and it that's why so like you're trying to make decisions when your heart rate is so high yeah 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 so i think that sort of explains why mistakes do happen in dirt bikes is sometimes just like how the hell did that happen yeah but i i look at um like that moto for anyone that wants to know why i'm just carrying on like a dickhead like literally just go and watch millville moto 2 2023 and just watch what eli was doing like you know, you got the right-hander before the finish line at Millville, then they got the finish line tabletop. Yeah. Like, he's coming out of that corner on a 450, and the thing's, like, almost loop it. Like, he's... It's wedged. Like, as fast as that bike will go, and he's, like, on the back wheel. Like It's like the thing wants to rip his, rip his face off, and it doesn't phase him at all. Like, he's just chilling, you yeah. know? Yeah. And like I just that that's what I don't understand. Like if I even get to that level on a four fifty, like I'm actually scared. It'd be cool to be able to like just get strapped onto the back of back of the right and see the speed that they can do outdoors and, and stuff because when you 
I would always make my dad after the nationals back home. We'd stay and would walk the track afterwards just to show him how gnarly, how gnarly it, it was. Yeah. Because you can't really tell unless you're out there. But the national tracks get absolutely obliterated, and they're just. It's, I guess it comes down to the same thing as in Supercross when the whoops get blown apart, and those guys are still just skimming straight across the top. Like it's the same with outdoors. When it gets rough and gnarly, those guys just continue that beast mode speed and it's just like how the hell are they riding through a section like that that fast yeah that's one of the wild things about supercross and motocross as well like you can go tandem in an f1 car you can go tandem in a v8 supercar i've been on the back of a bike with jack miller and that was that actually fucked me up like that was just the same shit like how you'd look at tomac and go like that's unbelievable it's just different on a moto gp bike like it's it's hard to comprehend in the same because it looks so smooth it's so like it's so fluid but yeah that was like i'd ne- i wasn't even scared <laughs> like yeah. it was so like i went past scared but yeah it's just like what what those guys do is just super fu- like superhuman nah yeah like I often think that coming from Australia, whenever you're on a track back home and you've got like a, a Ferris or one of the, the top guys in Australia and they're riding and you look and you think, well, there's no possible way you could go faster. Any track I've ever been to, there's three seconds you could pull out of that because that's yeah. what the top guys here would do. They would legitimately go three seconds a lot quicker. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's fucking crazy. So are you going to race the 450 class this weekend? That's the plan just because I think with the the shootout, like I, I wouldn't be top 20 in times. Um, yeah. So And that's what you have to be to make the make even the night show. So I'd be yeah. going all the way to Salt Lake and not making any like start money. So I was thinking that I'll do the 450 class just as almost like a bit of an experiment for next year. I'd love to be able to do some of the East Coast races in the 450 class and then... Uh, just to continue racing and then also there's that pulp race that yeah. happened on the weekend so it would be cool to, if that is my last season next year to be able to get into that race and do that but that's all sort of like hoping that i can do that next year if i can afford to get to some of the east coast races but i just thought it'd be a cool little thing to do see how i go this weekend in the 450 class probably not ideal because it's at salt lake and the elevation's going to make the bike slow but (laughs) but we'll see we'll see how we go a bit of fun and and do the last round and then i'm not sure what i'm going to do after that like i said earlier i was was meant to go to china and then that just got postponed um and then uh there was i I, like one of my good friends here he's dealing with the there's apparently an indian supercross series Yeah, 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 yeah 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 so i'm hoping that if that series happens with the my mate being somewhat a little bit involved with it, I can get onto that. Uh, but that I honestly have no information on that series or anything like that. But I'm not sure what I do this summer over here, whether I come home and work for a few months and then come back here uh, and get ready for a, another Supercross series. But I basically just have to try and sell all my bikes after Salt Lake and start organising next year if i'm going to make it happen because that's one thing people keep asking if i'm going to come back and race in australia for the supercross series and the only way i could see that that would work is if i got on a team in australia because i can't 
organize everything in America and organize yeah. it all in Australia because for one it's too much money and two just the timeline of trying to have every, you can't just land in America in December and think fuck I've got everything sorted to go racing so yeah. that yeah I, like I would like to come back and do the Aussie series but I just got to sort of wait and see what happens with that because my main priority would be to try and race here again next year yeah yeah definitely who else helps you out that's worth talking about um so apart from like seven whenever i've had seven on the the bike at the races is my main logo that's basically the rounds that i don't have anyone helping me and i just have seven on the bike because it's cool sponsor and and they've really been really good to me um the other sponsors i've had like this year we i had skda on the on the side of the bike just because they've been so awesome um We've just supplying graphics whenever I want. I've been a pain in the ass to the the rep I use is Aki Rush. He's the designer, and I'm always emailing him really late to try and get something done. He's been really good, but uh, I've had a um, a car mechanic in Temecula that like I've got a pretty old van over here, and it's awesome. But with the amount of miles you do getting to the races, you see, even just the oil changes and that that add up and. Uh, Lee at Automotive Specialties in Temecula. He last week he just replaced a radiator. Like I before the season, I'd been driving around with a cracked windscreen for like a year, and he replaced that. He's balanced the t- like tires on the car. I've got to go in actually uh, tomorrow afternoon because the car's wobbling a little bit after the drive from Denver, so he's going to fix it. So he gave me fifteen hundred bucks before the season, and he's basically kept my van on the road. So he's been a massive support for me. Um, and really I've got Lucas Burton back home. He's a real estate agent that, um, has been really successful with that. That I used to live with Sam Martin. I don't know if you remember Sam. Yeah. 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 So I used to live with, and he used to help Sam. So, uh, I just sort of met, uh, Lucas through that and he's paid my entries this year, um, which has been a big help. And then, um, I'm probably forgetting some people like, oh, uh, the other one is, one up van conversion so there that's my english friend that lives in uh temecula and he has been giving me a little bit of gas money at each of the races i had him on the bike for glendale he helped out there um and he's he used to come to the races with me him and his partner joe uh, who owned the business but they're just so pumped now with like doing the van conversion stuff for the like moto that um he can't really have the time to come to the races but he's still been helping me money-wise with a few things here and there which has been awesome but apart from that it's just me so like in the off season last year i went home and because i had to do the visa stuff i just worked nearly every day um for my mate uh tim var who used to be my mechanic back in australia so he's the maintenance manager at laurent and laurent back home do all the bread uh, for like coals and all that sort of stuff. So whenever I go back home, I can just hop straight into work in there and it's just in mechanical maintenance. So it's just fixing conveyor belts, like taking covers off machines for the cleaners to come in, like taking all the big industrial ovens and cleaning those and, and stuff like that. So it, because there's a group of moto dudes that are working there under Tim, it's pretty cool to go and work and you do the long hours it's like usually six till six but when i was there like i try and stay a little bit later or whenever tim needs someone to help with that would we'll, on a shut we'll just like a couple of times we just did like 16 hours straight of work because for me it was just 
pulling up the money to come and race here. So I'm not sure if I'm going to do that in the, like in the next sort of few months. If some of the races don't come up, I might head home and and do a bit of work there and just try and pull up a bit of money for next year. But otherwise, I, I've got a friend here that I do coaching for and that sort of ticks yep. me along paying my rent and stuff like that. But apart from that, I'm trying to think if I've got anyone else that's really helping me. Like obviously I get goggles and, and stuff from X brand and that, but on the money side of things, I'm sure I might be forgetting someone, but I really don't have anyone else that's sort of helping. It's just me that I've saved up for the years of working back home and, and other things. And then when I like I've sort of just been recycling the same money with the bikes for the last yeah, few years yeah, to keep yeah, me going yeah. and then like I'm not afraid to admit like the the grocery side of things during the week my dad still helps me but yeah. once the season starts I'm I've paid this year I've been able to pay for everything so before the season I used all the money I made in Australia to pay for motors to be built and uh, now that the racing has like the the prize purse this year has gone up quite a bit. Like last year I was making only like 700 for a night show. And like last weekend in Denver, I would have made two grand for the, like the main event. So all my, yeah, all my gas in the van to get to the races, all the motors, all the like, um, stuff that I need to have paid for. I've paid for myself out of the cash that I had made in australia and also from the races now so the hard part is to get through the off season without spending all my money and get to the first round because once you get to the first round i'll have the sponsors that give me a little bit of money and also the prize person that sort of keeps me ticking along and, and gets me through pretty good but in saying that it is you do have to cut the corners and like sleep in the van when you can and, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that to make it work but honestly i've been Pretty. I came over here with probably about twenty grand from working back home last year, and I'm. I've probably got after this weekend. I'll probably have seven grand left. So I'm yeah. still doing not too bad. But we had like this off season. It was a little bit of an interesting off season because. Yeah, tell us. The story. <laughs> like, so, I I had like saved up my money and I bought the bikes or whatever and. Uh, I was just, it was just like a normal day back. It was in November, middle of November. And I I got up at six like normal, hopped on the cycle. And then I was, it was probably about 10 to seven. And I was in my little bunk room, just on my foam roller, just stretching for the day. And Lucy was in the kitchen making me breakfast. And we heard like a little bit of commotion outside. Like, and I was kind of, what the fuck's that? And I popped my head out and we just see like there was, a full-on like SWAT team of police on the property <laughs> and we were kind of like oh fuck this is finally sort of <laughs> happening and so I like I have to I'll try and say as much as I can I don't want to blow anyone out or anything like that but where I was living trying to do it as cheap as I can I, I live in basically like a little shack uh, on a property and on that property there was uh, like a legal sort of activity on the property that was nothing to do with me but there was there and sort of like I knew it was there but it was nothing to do with us like we honestly had nothing to do with it but I guess when you're on that property and a raid happens 
you get involved with it. So I'm just on the fucking phone roller and they have the rams to ram the doors open and that like a big Mexican dude, like probably like 300 pounds or more, he came and held me at gunpoint and threw me on the ground and then another officer came in the other door and my girlfriend was like, I don't know what to do because he had the gun pointed at her. And then she, he's like, just stand up against the wall and put your hands behind your head. So I'll put hands behind you. So we both got like put in handcuffs, taken outside. And as I'm being taken outside, we get put and just sat on a little sleeper out, outside. And I look up and there's a, a chopper really low. And I'm just like, is that with you guys? And the officer was like, yep. I'm like, holy fuck, I look around and there's probably about 20 to 30 police cars. And I we're sitting down on the on the sleeper outside and I, I look over to my girlfriend and I'm like, this is interesting, isn't it? Like you wouldn't think like going back to talking about if you if your chick's ride or die for you or not, she's just yeah, sitting yeah. there in handcuffs and I'm like, Oh fuck, this is not ideal for both of us, is it? And and the so they they came on the property and they like searched my house because they obviously had to search all the the buildings on the property and uh which was good because i was kind of like go ahead search because it'll prove that i know nothing about anything and and don't have anything to do with this so as soon as i got taken outside in the handcuffs i i told the officer which i didn't know i had told when i had to go through all this again but I said to the officer, I've got $7,100 in my underwear drawer because just by chance I had sold a bike the night before. Like I'd been trying to sell one of my gas gases for months and I finally just (laughs) sold it. And I had $7,100 in my underwear drawer. And uh, when the search happens, they legit just upend your whole fucking life. Like everything I owned was on the floor. Like they were just walking over it, everything like that. And at about so that happened about 10 to 7 in the morning when we first got detained and they they took the handcuffs off us about 40 minutes in and we just sat there with one of the officers while the search happened and um when we finally got told you just have to get off the property or we have to take you to jail um the my girlfriend got escorted in by one of the officers to get a handbag so that she could go to work and i got escorted in to get some clothes to go to the gym and when I seen that, like went in, I seen that the my money was gone. And I said to the officer, they've taken my money. How do I go about getting it back? And he said, you're going to have to go to court. And I, like, obviously I was in no position to argue at that point. So I just was like, yep, we got off the property. And the next day I, I rode at Parlour. And after riding at Parlour, I um, like went to the the sheriff's department i had the warrant that they had left i had the bill of sale for the bike and i could prove everything was legit and the i went to the reception and then like sat down and the main dude from the like the raid came out and he's like what's up and i'm kind of like well I've, I've got to go about the process of trying to get my money back and he goes we didn't take anything and i'm like whoa oh. so he he goes go back to the property now search the house when you find the money here's my number text me and like going back through all this the police were actually really good to me the main people in charge were awesome they i've got no like i'm not saying anything about police officers or anything like that it was actually really good but i went back cleaned my whole house because at that time like i'd been back that night before but the power had been switched off because it was a crime scene i guess so 
I went back, searched the whole house. There's no money. So I text him. He texts me. He goes, can I call you? And I'm like, and before I'd even answered, he he called me. And he goes, can you be on the property in 30 minutes? I'm like, yep. So him, a dude above him and another guy came out and searched my like shack again. And they were like, well, fuck, there's no money here now. Like, we've got to do something about this. And it turns out one of the sheriffs stole 7000 bucks out of my underwear drawer. And that was like the money at the time that I had to keep going through the off-season. So that made the off-season super hard this year. And because there was no power, we were just lucky that we uh, we got to stay at my girlfriend's grandma's apartment down in Oceanside now. So we've just been doing that. But I can't work on any of my bikes at her place. So I've still been working on my bikes at the property, but there's still no power on at the moment. So I like during the off season when it was in the winter like it starts to get dark at 4 30 so i'm trying to do my fucking bike work and and graphics and all that and all i had at the property was a generator so i'm sitting there with my heat gun doing the graphics and it starts raining oh. off. and one of the, one of the the days i was like fuck this i'm sick of wasting all this gas money driving down to oceanside after at the end of the day i'm just gonna stay at the property with no power and i'd ridden i'd been to the gym and all that and i was like i have to shower and I forgot to shower at the gym and I just stood in the shower and I put a bottle of water over the soap bar and I soaked myself up and then I got a couple of, and it's fucking winter. So I'm freezing cold. And I literally said to myself, I'm like, if this is what I got to do to race supercross, this is what I'm fucking doing. And (laughs) so it took it the week before the season. I think it was the County actually ended up paying me out. So, um, really, yeah. So I got my money back, but I had to go do like a whole, two-hour interrogation with a detective who was put on the case of my money and basically he was really good he'd been on the force for like 27 years or something like that and he said to me when he called me after a while he's like I'm kind of pissed off about this whole thing because I don't have too many unsolved cases and he went through every officer on the raid and interviewed them and and said asked him three questions he told me he said asked him did you see the money uh did, well, he, he asked, he goes, did you see the money? Uh, there was one other question or whatever. And then if someone was to take the money, who would have taken the money? And every officer basically said this one officer. And since that uh, raid, that officer had been on a medical uh, leave and he was trying to get a medical retirement. So basically he just explained uh. to me, he goes, he's a dodgy cop. And we like sometimes you get dodgy cops and you can't do anything about that. Um, and he goes, but we don't have any evidence to show that he actually had taken the money. But I had like a, an Australian $20 note. I'd kept like a $50 American note that I thought was cool because it was old. It was 1973. So I could, like I had, like I knew exactly what I had there and I had the bill of sale and everything to be able to prove it. I had the messages printed off when I went uh, from the like sale on the bike. Because and oh, and it was the night before. You can't get rid of seven grand like, yeah, yeah. in that short of a period of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. like the whole Fuck, thing you was... you got lucky, bro. Oh, dude, even just when we were sitting in the handcuffs, like I couldn't give a fuck about the money at that point because it was like, why well, I, I didn't know the money was taken at that point, but I, I was worried for my girlfriend who 
if she got a record, she couldn't come to Australia. Never come to Australia, yeah. And if you I got a record, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I just said to the officers, is this going to affect my visa? And he's like, who gives a fuck, man? Biden lets anyone in. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> I need to be able to get in and out of America. I'm not trying to like, and the, it was pretty stressful, the whole thing. Um, but it all worked itself out in the end. And we still don't have power there at the property, but it should be getting sorted soon and because like it's a tough position because to rent anywhere or or that is so expensive where i was there i was paying quite little rent and that's how i was able to sort of be here and stay and like if i was to have to have a house like some houses are like two grand or two and a half grand to be here or or have a room but you've got so much shit with your bike stuff to have just a room somewhere is too hard so we've been very lucky that we've had my girlfriend's grandma's just to stay there and i've been paying rent there but it's made the whole season so fucked and i'm just kind of like trying (laughs) to get through the season and then rebuild and get back to living normal and stuff like that because it honestly has been kind of fucked this year like even just going to the car wash to spend after what like to wash the bike after each day and that i've spent a fortune with that stuff um but i um yeah it's it's just a funny story like i had to call my dad back home because we got released at about they said like you can leave at 11 a.m so it was about i think it was about 5 a.m back home and i called dad i'm like wake the fuck up and he was kind of what was that and i'm like wake up we were just in a freaking drug raid uh so and it's stuff like people can be angry and say well if you knew what was going on on that property then like you shouldn't have been there but when you can't pay rent to be somewhere and don't have the money to do that it's like that's how i was being able to afford to be here and race and all that i was only paying a small amount of rent and it was fine for me like my shack is perfect but you can't have if you run the microwave you can't have any other appliance on because it trips yeah, it out. Yeah. so it was kind of yeah. all like that but it was perfect just for me and my girlfriend to live together i had all my bike stuff and that but we weren't really expecting to be raided and and be involved with something like that but i will tell you sitting there and knowing that i wasn't involved in any way was really nice because it was like go ahead fucking search go ahead and and the cops all the main like cops and sheriffs that i had to deal with were really cool to me like a lot of them when i seen like they had like dirt bike shirts on when i had met them in private and stuff like that so they were all really cool but it was just an unfortunate situation to be in (laughs) dude what a crazy season eh? yeah yeah so but it was kind of like tough because i i was like do i bring this up with people like people that you're involved in a drug raid and like people find it hard to believe if you're living on that property you weren't involved but we honestly weren't involved in any way but we just sort of got caught up in the whole thing and it just made the like the off season and this season pretty tough fuck i can't believe it eh? that's so crazy yeah it's just a funny story at the end of the day i guess but it would just be one of them things look back on like we still went racing but we were involved in a drug raid during the off season and that cop dirty cop stole your money yeah like i wonder how often that happens oh bro all the time because they would have thought it's just drug money fuck all yeah Yeah, that would the officer would have just thought just drug money no because no one's ever going to go into a sheriff's department that's been in a drug raid and say i've got the bill of sale yeah yeah, i've got yeah yeah, exactly so i think they realized that it was kind of a 
bad situation and I just sort of accepted the fact that I wasn't going to get my money back at one point and I was fine with that as long as we didn't get in trouble because all I really cared was I just didn't want to get in trouble because I didn't want it to affect my living situation with my girlfriend and stuff like that but even with getting the money back it was it was so strange the whole thing it was like almost like they wanted to keep it on off the books but then yeah, i was explained yeah. by the detective that it wasn't like and he he showed, showed me the whole process of what happens when money is found on raids and all that but then the county that i was dealing with that was meant to be sending out the check he was kind of like well if you don't have a social security number in america it's going to make my job really hard to pay you but he, he said i'll figure it out and I hadn't heard from the dude in like a month. And then he all of a sudden emailed me and said, do you have like a Australian equivalent of a social security? And I, I, I said like a, a tax file number. And he goes, yeah, that's it. And I said, well, my parents will be awakened. I don't have that information on me right now. I was, I was wherever. I said, my parents will be awake in an hour. I'll email you that information. And as I got off the phone, I was like, are these motherfuckers trying to tax me on the money that they stole so i i i emailed him back i was like they're not trying to tax me are they and then all of a sudden i don't know if it was just by coincidence or like because there's a few things that are like this and i'm like well maybe it's just a coincidence i got an email back straight away actually that just got approved no worries you'll be getting your money so as soon as i questioned it it was approved so whether or not that was just uh, a coincidence or not but I reckon the whole thing like I said the police were awesome to deal with but the circumstance and that I'm kind of like what the hell's going on sometimes oh yeah that'll all be trying to keep oh yeah hush, hush, yeah reckon. yeah if you yeah because those top guys I guess would be really professional but if you're just one of the low level cops that have put on the raid and you see especially when you're already trying to get off like on medical leave and like you're trying to retire and shit like he would have just been like just trying to get what he could get he's probably had his own like 401k getting saved up you know yeah yeah exactly so but for me it was like I, I remember just when I'm just the motorbike rider I'm just the motorbike rider like in the in the moment like fucking trying to be like holy fuck when it got because I'd never had a gun pointed at me and the dude threw me on the ground pretty good I was kind of half on the couch and half on the ground but uh, yeah it was pretty funny to be putting handcuffs and uh, yeah just to look across at my missus and be like well well this <laughs> is not how we just, and and <laughs> she she had to have the officer hold her phone up because her boss was calling and she she was meant to be interviewing some new workers that day to start so there's people showing up for her and she's not there so we had to have the sheriff hold her phone while we're in the handcuffs and have her speak to her, her boss to tell her that we're being detained and all that so pretty funny that is so fucking wild well mate you've had a hell of a 2023 supercross fucking season that's for sure yeah, as bad as it's gone, I know I know I've only made two main events, but hopefully I can get my shit together and I know the West has been pretty stacked this year, but maybe next year it won't be so deep and hopefully I get a little bit better and we can have a more of a consistent season where we're sort of in the main event more often. Yeah. Well, mate, honestly, I've had so much fun doing this podcast with you and uh I had I had a ball seeing the gypsy tails on the bike for the weekend and uh and the i think one of the coolest parts of it as well was seeing how pumped like the gypsy gang were you know like i had so many people message me so many people were sharing the bike and like because you'd all you'd already done qualifying and everything while i was still asleep 
Yeah. And so when I woke up and checked my phone, I just had like hundreds of messages and like so many people had filmed the race day live. And so I think like it just made a lot of people's day, you know, like to not to not expect to sort of see it. So it really opened my eyes and made it so like I knew there's sort of people out there that are involved with a sport like that but it showed me that I, I really need to do the social media stuff more like I know I hate it and I like struggle you know to hold the phone up and talk like a wanker and that but the to ha- them how many people that came up to the pit tent and seen the bike and came to say hello and talk about it and that it really is something that there is people out there that I think would probably want to watch and have yep. more sort of content or whatever. So I need to be better at that. And like this really did open my eyes to it. And it was a cool experience. So like, thank you for doing it. Cause I didn't like, I'd never expected like Lee Diffie on the weekend asked, are you going to do the podcast? And I, I was like, no, like I'm not expecting to do that at all, but to be able to be here and, and do it and all that, I, like I'm really thankful. So. Nah, well man, honestly, I actually, if anything, I just feel like a piece of shit that we haven't done it sooner because like already in my head, I'm like, man, I fucking should have been on the bike at A1. Like if, if I did this, you know, like I wonder how much more, but I think I probably didn't, I didn't expect, I guess I didn't expect how much it would have helped you, you know, like it's, uh, yeah, for it, for it to be as cool as, as what it was. So if anything though, it's just fired me up to help you for next year uh so yeah like definitely we'll just figure out some shit like i just know i know i could help out way more than i than i did this weekend and uh and even like doing the podcast like you should have been on here way sooner than what you were and it's one of those things like when people would say like oh you're gonna get banger on i'm like yeah yeah 100 percent. like of course but i just fucking you know time time goes by so if anything it made me feel like a bit of a fucking dickhead for not for not doing it sooner but um we're here now i'm stoked that um i stoked that you got to to do the podcast and and i appreciate you running the the kit and uh yeah 20 2024 we'll we'll do some cool shit i reckon fuck yeah thank you no dramas brother all right we'll wrap it up is that done that's how long did Uh, we go for three hours fuck I was trying to, I actually looked on the way here. I was like, how long are the other podcasts? Because I wasn't sure how long it would be. And I was like, fuck, yeah. I don't, you don't want to be the dude that comes and only does an hour and a half. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But, no, but no, I, no. we should have talked about the UFC stuff, the MMA stuff more. Like, I'm, dude, I'm fully into that. Like, do you, really? yeah, you, have you, yeah, yeah. Being out in uh, Dubai, like, they they have the events out there and stuff. Is that near you or like obviously yeah, you're not yeah. staying out there? But Abu Dhabi's only um, yeah Abu Dhabi's only twenty oh, an hour up the road from me. Yeah. So where they do it, but like where I train, so Khabib's coach has been training with the guy that owns the gym that because I do jujitsu like most days when I'm in like not traveling and stuff. Yeah. And um. Yeah, so the gym that I'm at is actually owned by the first ever Arab that was in the UFC. Oh, wow. And so it's like, yeah, it's like a sick gym. That was one of the other reasons why I moved here because I want to just get way more into like the UFC sort of like podcast stuff. Well, doesn't um, the... Who's the big dude? Like, oh, his name's escaping me now. The Australian like Maori dude, uh, Tai Tuavasa. He's Tuavasa, out in, yeah. Yeah, he's out in um, Dubai, isn't he? Well, they just... Everyone comes and does camps here. 
Yeah. Because the time zone's so fucking weird. Like, whenever the fights are on here, you'll get a lot of the fighters come and stay for a month. But, like, Jake Paul did his camp for um, for Tommy Fury yep. here. Like, Baidu Jack Boxer. Like, there's a lot of big boxers that are here. So, yeah, like, that's kind of... That was kind of another reason for moving out here is that I can be way more around, like, the UFC stuff. And, um, like, jiu-jitsu is massive here, bro. Where... Like, there was, like, a grand slam here and shit where um i get a, a massage it's, it's out of um a gracie jiu-jitsu place and um, oh yeah 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 near ktm yeah 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 yeah, yeah 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 and um Casillas place what's the wait is what's the chick's name that does it is it a chick the massage person yeah no his name's gerig he's a he's uh, cutthroat massage um dude i used to get a massage from this chick that was there she was a smoke show but she was fucking awesome it was out of that same spot. really yeah, yeah and yeah. and um jalen turner trains out of there sometimes so i'm yeah, kind of yeah. like the dude during the massage like trying not to be creepy but trying to ask about the like how he trains and and all that yeah, sort of stuff yeah. dude it's so to get another sport and just be able to like like research it yeah yeah it's yeah. been super cool and it's like trying to learn like i wish i could like fight in some type of way and even it's a way i joke with my missus i'm i'm kind of like i could never be a fighter because i'm just too small the flyweight class is 125 pounds i could get to that by lunchtime if i wanted to to yeah so whereas the dudes that are fighting at flyweight are fucking 150 pounds or whatever and cutting down and i just could never i would be too small (laughs) it's just always a joke that we have well so you know what's so crazy dude so I did my first ever jiu-jitsu lesson or class. So um, do you uh, do you know Charles Dow? Yeah, yep. Yeah, so Charles that owns Icon. I think he's like involved in the that Gracie gym because it's like yeah, next, yep. it's it's in the, I think he's like in on it. He's like a blue belt and shit. And so it was in maybe like 2014 or something. Like I cuz I did taekwondo when i was a kid i did karate like uh boxing and like so i just grew up i was in fucking fights every single week of my life <laughs> like just the the area that we grew up like fuck it was hectic and uh so i just always loved fighting and um and it was funny like i'd get in all these fights at school and they would rattle everyone but i was just fucking sweet like i thought it was the best thing ever and so i always did something and then when i got to when i was in america because i didn't really ride the whole time i was in the u.s i just surfed played golf and then i was like fuck i want to get into like into jujitsu so this would have been i reckon in like 14 or 15 maybe even i can't remember but anyway, I went and did one lesson and I was like, this is the fucking shit. Like, I love this. And then I was sitting there after like the last sort of roll, like sparring session finished. And I had my hands back. Like I was just like sitting back chilling and this massive fat dude fucking was still going and he like fell on my wrist and broke my wrist. So I did like one jujitsu lesson in 2014 or whatever and uh and i never went back because i didn't have health insurance there and Uh, so my first ever lesson i fucked my wrist up and i was like oh well i can't afford to to like get hurt again so yeah dude uh, i'd be i'd be i would have been doing jujitsu for nearly 10 years by now like if like i just play in the scenario in my head like if that didn't happen and i kept how how much you weigh uh i'm 80 kilos 
So what would that be? Like what weight class would that be? Would you fight out of? I'd probably fight at lightweight. So when I when I do so I've done like the national championships and shit for jujitsu yeah, at yeah. home, and I've done I I won two national titles at seventy three point five kilos. How'd you go? Yeah, I won both of them. Oh shit! Really? Yeah. So yeah, you could yeah. like wow. How old are you now? Thirty-four. I wouldn't oh, do. No, like, yeah. nah. Nah, it's over. It's, you always think like in a like fighting situation, being a fan of it, you'd think, well, I could do it. As soon as I got punched in the face, I'd be like, probably nah, probably not for me, is it? Like those guys are so fucking gnarly when their lips are hanging off and all that shit, and they're just still coming forward and going for it. It's just nuts. Well, I so I've been in enough proper fights to know that like that I'm all right with being in a fight, if that yep. makes sense. Yep. And like, but then I've had like other fights where I've just like lost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was just like one-on-one. I chose to fight the dude. Fucking dude smashed me. But so like, I, I don't reckon I'd be, and from jujitsu, like I know I'm not scared when I, like I don't give a fuck. Like I've had my ankles popped. I've had my elbow Ooh. dislocated, like in like hard, and this is just a training, like just in hard training. So I know that in the moment in a fight, like I'm not scared of getting hurt. I'm not scared of getting hit. But what I am scared of is like, I just don't want to have my face fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like that to me, like to look like Mike Perry or to look like some of those dudes and have your teeth all, like Luke Rockhold getting his fucking teeth oh, smashed dude. in last What With jujitsu, how's your ears? Yeah, I actually... You kind of can't really see it. I got cauliflower ear real bad for like the first five months. So for the first five months that I was doing jiu-jitsu, every single night, you ask my dad when next time you talk to him, but my ears, I was getting needles and I was like draining my fucking... Yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. come home from training every single night for five months and all the coaches and shit were like, bro, just leave it, just leave it, just leave it. But yeah, I went to... And I, I'd get blue tack with magnets. Yep. So I'd, I'd, I'd make like a mold of my ear and I'd have magnets and blue tack on the inside and magnets and blue tack on the outside to like squish the ear back together so that it wouldn't fill up with blood and, and like get all fucked up. So yeah, if I didn't do that, I would have the gnarliest cauliflower ears. That's but like fucking... next time I act like I see it, you'll be able to like see it and shit. Yeah, they're yeah. all, they're so, but now, cause I've been doing it for like five or six years now the they're so hard, hard like i yeah. don't I, I don't really get it anymore but yeah i took i was like so meticulously taking care of them because i just so you don't look like a fucking, dude with these big fucking cauliflower ears on it but no nah. like what? you can see it but yeah. you can't it's not like bad yeah because you do get them guys that are just like holy fuck can you even hear out of that ear anymore oh dude it's so shit buddy what what's your dad doing now is he like because i see he works at he works at um he works in like a brick factory like doing maintenance on yeah. machines pretty much but he's like sort of semi-retired he only works like a few days a week your dad's yeah, always just- been so cool to me and then i remember in 2014 when i like i hadn't met Jax at that point and dude Jax is like jats is literally fucking the coolest dude ever and yeah. i hadn't really met him until 2015 when we were teammates but uh 
in 2014, I was just having like a bad year. My, I could barely like ride probably with my shoulder and that. And in the heat race at Bathurst, I was behind Jats on the last lap. And I fully just was like this motherfucker in front. And I cleaned him out, like perfect takeout, massive for no reason at all. It was just the biggest <laughs> dick move. And your dad was his mechanic. And it was, I was kind of like when I got back, I went to line up for the main. And I he had his bike, Jats's bike there. And I kind of was like... Fuck! I shouldn't have done that because then your dad. I was like, I didn't want to disappoint your dad, and I was like, fuck. So and then um, the next year, I was teammates with Jats, and when I met him over here, like uh, in 2019 or whatever, he he told me the story. He's like, I fucking hated you. I thought you were the biggest <laughs> dick ever, and I'm like, oh, sorry, dude. And then we hung out like every day. It was sick. So yeah. it's so funny that um yeah, and, and it's so funny because you think with Jats, he's like maybe doesn't take it serious or anything like that but we would go on beast bro dude we would go on mountain bikes and i'm like oh back then i was fucking fit in my mountain bike and he would beat me up the hills and i i thought like he sort of marketed himself as this wild dude but he was training his ass off and trying to come back and and do really well and yeah that's one thing i didn't i don't think people realize with jats was he did he was fully serious and he fucking worked his ass off oh mate like i i used to get so pissed off and i don't that's why i'd always like i'd i used to just float anybody that used to say like oh you know he's fucking part he used to just go out and not drink but he's such like a and have you ever met his dad yeah yeah so like he is his dad like yeah. they're the same you know what I mean? so if you know pete completely fucking sober he could do this podcast for three hours and i could say like nothing and he'd have me in stitches the whole time like his dad's just like a performer you know yeah and that's what that's what jats is like he's funny as fuck and like as soon as there's people around him that are like we'll give him an audience to yeah yeah, to yeah. like listen to him carry on like that's just what he loves to do so he used to go out, not drink. And there was times, uh, like, I guess later he, he would drink a bit. But, like, man, he was so fucking fit. And he was jacked, bro. Yeah. Like, he used to train so hard. And he was such a beast. Like, man, he could have been so good. Like, well, there, there I'm, was a, a yeah, few I'm, key decisions that he made that I reckon fucked his career. But he he was on the verge of being on a team in, in America, I reckon. He, he I kind of disappointed for him that, when he it was last year wasn't he, he tried to come back for uh cowie yeah. and yeah. i know from like my like one one of my best mates is jai constantino and yeah. with him being on the team with jats i don't think he really had a fair crack at being no. able to like do supercross so and it's disappointing because i don't know if jats is going to come back or not but nah, um, I don't he will. yeah so it's kind of a bummer to end that way but he probably could have come back and done well in the right circumstance yeah, it's a bummer because like I um the all those guys like that Empire team like they're fucking cool dudes legends like there's just nothing against them but they're like not good enough for Jats if that makes sense. It's not a it's not a team. It's like a it's made to look like a team, but the infrastructure there to be an actual team isn't actually there. And like, I keep telling my mate like Jai, go do your own thing or come out if you're gonna spend money, come here and spend your money here and, and try and do it because we'll be at the practice track and I don't think people understand how good Jai Constantino is. Like, yeah, I've seen him, right? He's dude, real good. fucking unbelievable at the practice track. 
but he just needs to be able to do it at the races and he I don't feel like has had a fair shot either um it would have been better for him to stay as a privateer the last couple of years and yeah. do it that way because he had built himself up to a point where he deserved a ride but it's almost like almost like in Australia unless you're on like a Uribe or a CDR or something like that or a Circo yeah it's not worth being on a team like I and I would say that to Jats as well man yeah that's basically like when Wilson's ended in 15... Well, not ended. They went to Suzuki in a 450 team. Like I probably wasn't going to get a ride with him anyway, but it kind of made it so we were sort of like, what do we do? And I was sick of riding slow bikes, so we just built like our own sort of bikes and program, and that's how I had some of the best years after that because I was in control of everything. Whereas if you do get on one of those little teams in Australia they don't have the money or the infrastructure to actually be a team. They have grips and graphics that they put on at the races and it makes you look like it. And everyone's just pretending like they're getting paid and being a rider when none of them fucking are unless you're on CDR or Circo or something like that. So what's the point of making these people look good? And then you've got to run fucking Joe Blow tires, Koala grips. Like you've got to run whatever bullshit they're getting for free. And it's like, I get it, but like almost it's like if you want to run a team you just got to have some logos and like have a team logo and then just let the dudes run whatever they like that's what ken did this year you know like that's the even kenny at his level like that's what they had to do like he wanted to run this he wanted to run factory connection he wanted to run rental yeah you got to run the shit that you want to run because like yeah i said that to i said that to jats like when Meddy got hurt Medi broke his collarbone at the first round. Yeah, yeah. Jats had been like putting in work, and I was like, "Bro, I know that you are a fucking good dude, and you want to be a good dude, but you need to call KTM and you need to get on Medi's bike because that thing is not good enough for you to go racing." Like he was, he was like doing good times and everything in practice. Like he was sweet, but then he'd get into a, a, the main event, and his fucking shock had just stopped working because. Like, no offense to the, the people that were doing, but they literally told, I was told by Jai, they'd never done a set of Supercross suspension. Yeah. So, how the fuck are you meant to have confidence in that when? So, and it's not their fault, like, but why no. is that being the company that's hired to do the suspension yeah. then? So, yeah. that, like, one of the biggest mistakes I feel like I did in my career, and not a mistake because the race line thing was cool and I'm like really appreciative to the Tisdales and all that. But Hoppo was talking to me at that time. And Hoppo, like, I don't think people in Australia realised what Hoppo had actually done. He, he was, like, on the team yeah, was, yeah. with Carmichael in the perfect seasons. He built all the pipes for Mitch and all that. So I really wanted to be on his team. He had offered me something, but he couldn't offer me. He, he like, the year that, the that next year, he didn't actually end up having a team because Cowie pulled out and all that. But I feel like he probably would have still put something together f- to for me. And I probably, yeah. even if I had to pay her that, I would have at least had a bike that was really chance, good yeah. instead of being yeah. on a 38 horsepower Suzuki trying to race against the two strokes at the time. It was just yeah. beating your head up, up against the wall. So, like, that to me is, is in Australia, it's so hard because you, you get people that feel like they're good enough to be on these teams and then they get on the teams and they realise, well, I was better off doing it myself. But then you've got pressure from your dad or whatever who's paying for it 
to be on a team and then it just yeah. never you don't progress like you have that progression of being a privateer on a good bike and then you sort of flatten out when you get onto those smaller teams because you don't have what yeah. you used to have sort of thing yeah yeah 100 percent. and like you can build a it's like what you've done you know like you build you got that enzo suspension it's like buy it one time and then do it do it properly and then you're fucking sweet you know instead of just going from like like we said earlier like you got the dude that fucking knows everything about you know he's got the secret sauce and he puts you on his fucking frankenstein bullshit that he thinks is the best and then when you tell him it sucks his ego is hurt and he doesn't you, you just fucking it, it's pointless mate like motorcycles aren't that expensive to build a good bike so you're better off just doing that like what being over here like one of my biggest expenses is the the motors but even going to denver on the weekend having a twisted motor is I know that I never have to worry about my motor being slow. Like I have no excuses when it comes to the bike, like being fast enough or that because like, it's not a factory bike and I'm sure like those bikes are faster, but mine is so fast. I never have to worry about mapping cause they like sort all that stuff and that, but you have to do that. If you're going to come here and do it, that's one expense that you have to have is you have to basically have twisted or someone do your motors because then you don't have that excuse of oh well i would do that jump if i had a fast yeah, enough yeah, bike yeah, where i don't yeah. have I, i'm only 60 kilos i don't have any of that problem with if there's someone doing a jump like even watching the pulp race on the weekend i was kind of on the friday i was kind of bummed i'm like oh i'm watching some of my competitors get the track down but as long as i get to watch people do the track i can go out and i can do it straight away because like I always, like with the jump stuff, I'm never too scared of the jumps or anything like that. As long as I watch someone do it, I know my bike and everything's good. I can just go out and do it. Whereas when you're trying to go out there and figure it out and you haven't done press or anything like that, like it's tough. Like, and even saying the press stuff, like I didn't bring it up or whatever, but the, that whole side of the sport is so fucking bullshit. The, What's that? the getting in for press or that, they get their people that they'll get in for press each time. And then this whole year I have not done a single press day. I've only ever done one press day the entire time I was here. And they get 10 minutes of, they'll, they'll do the 250s. They'll do 10 minutes of practice out on the track. And it used to be like a small part of the track. Now it's like nearly the whole track apart from the whoops. And then the 450s do 10 minutes. And then the 250s go do another 10 minutes. And then the 450s, so they got 20 minutes on the track before the day of racing so i always saw oh shit the pro guy like the factory dudes do the jumps pretty quick on the second but they've already fucking ridden the day before and trying to get in on that i don't know what i have to do for next year but that's one thing i need to sort of work on because i think the privateers over here a lot of them will be paying to be on teams like a like a rides unlimited or or one of those like like kdm teams or that and that team has to pay fail to be in the pits and park their truck as far as uh, i know and, and with that, that gets them in that the gets them a, a certain amount of press days and that so then when you're uh, just by yourself you're not paying to be in the pits like that you just get put to the side and it's just yeah. like well the only difference between that rider and me is they've got enough money, money to pay yeah. to be on it and put on a team jacket and look like they're fancy when they're really just paying to be there so that yeah, that's yeah. the side of the sport that kind of pisses me off sometimes like not the hard done by privateer thing it's just like 
that you if you've don't got get, enough money, you just, yeah, yeah, you don't have the opportunities that some of the other guys do just because they're they're all everything in life just comes down to fucking money. Yeah. So, but yeah. Well, next year we'll fucking try and get some shit happening for you. I'm, I'm keen, mate. I reckon people are going to listen to this and, and be super fucking stoked on how you do it too. Dude, you don't think I rambled on too much? Fuck it. I, I try, I, like I do struggle with nah, conversations. Nah, you're a fucking legend. Trying to keep the conversation going and remember what you're saying. I think I've had too many fucking head knocks. Just going nah. off on tangents, I'll be... But anyway. Nah, you can, I reckon we'll just post all this other shit too. It's fucking killing it. Boy, what other mate. shit? All this shit that we've been oh, talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah, go yeah. for it. I don't give a fuck. fuck. Yeah. Keep it rolling, mate. It's been so, good. <laughs> <laughs> just maybe delete me talking about me fucking fighting like a sick cunt. <laughs> oh, no. People will be like, oh, watch out for Jason. Not going to get in a fight uh, with him, are we? <laughs> oh, fucking so funny. We were, we, were at, uh, we were at New Zealand Supercross in like 2019. And uh, it was fucking, there was like these dudes, it was like 3 a.m., and it was like me, Chad, Dino, like we're all blind and um, and Rob Adelberg. And then this guy come up to Chad and he was like, Chad, leave me, let me get in photo. Like just fucked. And I, and I was like, oh, because I, I don't really drink that much. So like yeah. I had a few drinks, but like I, I wasn't, I wasn't drunk. And so I was like, oh, hey mate, like probably not. Like we've all had some drinks and blah 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 like i was so nice to this guy and uh and then anyway like he's just ignored me going back to chad all fucking in his face and i'm like bro it's like three weeks before a1 like we can't you can't have a photo with chad reed drunk. yeah yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's just, that's not how this works bro and then so i grabbed him again and he got like super in my face like trying to fight me and i was at no point gonna fight this guy and then rob adelberg's like walks up and he's like he will fuck you up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> this guy. And I was like, no, I won't. I'm not going <laughs> to fuck anyone up. And Rob Adelberg's like, shut up. He'll fuck you. Like, just lost it at this guy. And this guy's like, what the fuck is going on, bro? Oh, that's so funny. Like, for me, like, I, I've been to a few of the after parties, but coming from, like, my parents never, dr- I've never seen my parents drunk or in like, at Christmas they might have one rum and coke so the whole alcohol thing I just never got into yeah. like I've only been like sort of blackout drunk what you would sort of say once in my life at my mate Jake Williams wedding and that yeah, was yeah. that was it like the whole that type of thing I just I don't feel like I hate feeling like shit like I don't know how yeah. people drink and all that stuff the only thing that being here in the off season we um me and my girlfriend did an edible and that was yeah, like the you good. best fucking thing i'm like no nah, i can't <laughs> yeah. touch this stuff because like that's too good yeah dude but being here in california i was like nah i gotta fucking try once but i had yeah. i did we did it twice and um the first time like there's the difference between the the indica and the the um Sativa. yeah yeah and i took these like i and people would probably laugh at me but there was like the uh, twenty. It was twenty milligrams or whatever, which apparently I think is quite small amount. But I took it. Just it, depends, though. Oh, uh, and dude, I was like, I had the worst experience ever. It hit me, and I'm just sitting there going, "Holy fuck, <laughs> this is not." And yeah, so I was like, "Nah, it's maybe not for me." <laughs> but fucking yeah, the first time we did it was really good, but the second time not so much. Oh, you can definitely have too much, eh? Oh yeah, I yeah, did, dude. 
I had a th- I, I, I don't know if I've ever told I won't tell it now but I don't <laughs> know if I've ever told this story on here but I did a thousand milligrams once by accident oh, and I fuck. like so think about what 20 did to you yeah and then think about what a thousand would do to you oh, no I couldn't no like, I was torched bro it was the most fucked up I've ever been in my life really maybe it's like because I'm not like I, I'm not used to drinking and all that sort of stuff but that like I feel like anything like that I get affected so much that I can't the next yeah. day I just feel so horrible if, with anything like drinking or anything like that that because I didn't grow up when I was younger doing all that I just can't do it I just have to sort of all, I'm always sort of working to feel good and I yeah. think the thing <laughs> I think the it's big enough to feel good yeah like the big thing for me is that I have so much problem with sleeping and yeah. fucking like I'll I don't know if we've got time now but I'll show you like since I dislocated my hip when I was like 14 or whatever I have had night terrors and yeah right like but big time and like screaming in my sleep and it's just a thing that it's just i have to deal with so i never feel like i get rested enough and i feel like i have to take more time and for recovery and all that because my body doesn't recover nowhere near as what it should do and it's if i do like drinking or anything like that that makes me feel like worse or whatever i just can't do it because i feel like i don't recover how i should yeah. with the sleep because i don't get good sleep like i i'll show you now buddy um i don't know if you want to hear it or that but like this is when we were traveling around in 15 2015 with the boys they're like dude you have to realize what you're doing in your sleep so we gave they the they got an app that was um records noise in the night and i i haven't recorded for years now but fucking Wait, listen to this. This is me during my sleep. Really? Yeah, so I'm just like... And I've just got thousands of recordings like that. So I'm just always just not getting good sleep or recovery and i like is i've that had to, every night not every night but i'll do something like most nights like where I'll, I'll talk or do like get up or do something and um yeah it's ever just i think ever since my hip like i remember being in the royal children's because i was there for a month in bed like in traction on with my leg and um one of the nights i just went absolutely nuts and the nurses were trying to call mum and dad and figure out what was going on and all i'd taken was like ibuprofen and they were trying to figure it out but ever since then like i just had major sleep problems like i've done the whole sleep um studies and all that and basically all i learned was they can figure out your breathing and your heart and all that stuff but they can't actually figure out what goes on in your brain when you're sleeping yeah yeah and yeah they were just sort of like well you have restless legs you you move your legs in the wrong part of sleep and that triggers you to go sort of nuts um and then they tried to prescribe me with like a sleeping thing and i took it once and i was just there was like it made me drowsy and shit i was like nah i'm not dealing with that the rest of my life so i've tried hypnosis which was i didn't work at all i didn't think like all that sort of stuff and i just can't seem to get the sleep stuff back like it's been years now 
Fuck, that's wild, man. Dude, I used to have... Um, I got a mate and he screams in his sleep like, fuck, like full on. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to ask him. Do you ever... Did you ever remember Luke Weaver? No, I don't... No, not that I can Queensland recall. dude. He was like Todd's age. He was as fast as Todd. Like mm-hmm. the dude... He's won like more Queensland titles probably than, than anyone. But yeah, he used to have like gnarly like screaming in his sleep and um man my whole childhood i used to have like insomnia so i couldn't sleep i wouldn't sleep till like three four every single morning like i'd go to bed at seven at night yeah i'd go to bed at seven at night and i wouldn't get to sleep till three in the morning every single night until i left school basically and um but i reckon that could have been like like a anxiety thing with school or something like that yeah yeah and because like i said i was always in fights i was always getting bullied like school was gnarly dude like and just the town we grew up in like it was just fucking it was just full on and uh i think about it now like i was listening to this dude he was talking um he was it was like it was actually like a black dude in america and he was talking about like ptsd and he was like, oh, I got PTSD from like the first time I got jumped when I was like a kid. And I was like, fuck, man, maybe I had PTSD <laughs> as a kid, like for real, because I used to fucking, um, oh, my camera's going to run out of video here in a sec. I used to like literally, because I had a couple bad situations with like dudes, like getting, like getting bashed and shit in groups while I was just like by myself on a push bike or whatever. And, like, dude, every single person, like, I didn't trust anyone as a kid. Like, I used to have to ride my bike to school every day by myself, and I just, like, looked at everyone like they wanted to fucking do that shit. And, yeah, so, like, I reckon it, that stuff played, like, a big part, eh? But, yeah, night terrors and all that, gnarly shit, Well, man. for me, it's fucked because, like, if you have a chick over back in the day or whatever you got to warn them and if you forget to warn them yeah, yeah, yeah. and then like even flights um like one time i woke up on a, on a flight and everyone was kind of oh. looking at me and i was sort of like fuck what just happened because uh, there's no way that like, i don't remember anything unless i've hurt my voice from screaming too much or or whatever yeah but, yeah you're just done yeah and it's always about snakes i don't know why i like i've never liked snakes but i scream about snakes a lot and it's so strange but my di- oh, my girlfriend has to fucking deal with all this shit dude you're a nightmare yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah uh, if your battery's going fucking we can wrap it up yeah no nah, we're, we're done fucking nearly four hours brother it's been unreal you're Fuck uh yeah. you're a legend and um and yeah i fucking your camera's gone my camera's oh gone. really we've filled it up sweet Uh, thank you for having uh, me on i really appreciate it no worries bro 